And so I've been calling them lizard eyes. I don't know why, but. I don't think lizards have hooded eyes, though. No, they super don't. Okay. Because like, they don't have, like, <laughs> eyelids. <laughs> right. But that's that's essentially what it feels like. It's because they, they tuck up in there. And oh, so, so it feels like your your eyelids retract right. into your skull. <laughs> there you go. I yes, also exactly. have hooded eyes, but I have never once related them to a lizard. Yeah. Not well, my here you are. Moment. I know. Now I'm like scarred. Now I don't want to look at my own eyes. Welcome to lizard eyes. You shouldn't. Don't your look safe at your own space. eyes. <laughs> your safe space. <laughs> Welcome to your safe space, the podcast your partner, friends, parents, whoever thinks is dirty. Don't have time to read books? Want to understand the TikToks? We got you, fam. We're the Spice Traders, and we deal in spicy books. My name's Katie, and I need it to make sense. Hi, I'm Des, and I would love to talk about feelings today. I'm Liz, and I'm hypercritical. As always, we start every episode with three things. The first is a generic trigger warning. You can find specific triggers for this book in our show notes, so please check those out. Also, we do use foul language and talk a lot about sex. If you have sensitivity to that, this isn't the podcast for you. Secondly, we talk about books. The whole book, nothing about the book, so help me goddess. If you plan to read this book and you don't want something spoiled, don't listen to this episode right now. Lastly, we acknowledge that a good book can hit you at the wrong time. The views expressed in our discussion are our opinions, and we absolutely do not want to diminish the work and the talent of the authors in our community. That said, we have some notes. Uh, so Liz, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about High Mountain Court by A.K. Mulford. The pronouns for this author are she, they, so we will probably interchange as we go through this episode. But High Mountain Court was published in 2021, and it is the first book in a four-book series, the last of which will be released in June of this year, so it'll be a completed series in a couple months. There are also three novellas that are part of the series as well, so it is a big series. Um, one of those novellas is a prequel to this book, and the two others happen afterward. Um, so it is a hefty storyline going on in there. It is 354 pages in a physical copy, so we this call particular this a book. midi. Yeah. This particular book is a midi. It is a mid-length book. Um, I... I mean, we sort of talked about this before, but as mentioned, Katie previously read this book and hated it and <laughs> changed this time around. Do you have any brief uh, thoughts on that before you super dive in, Katie? I mean, I don't know about brief, but... <laughs> <laughs> will they come out throughout our discussion? They will probably come out throughout the discussion. But, you know, I, just to kind of summarize, I think where I've landed is I read this book at a point in our non-podcast launched book club like last year and it, it was one of those ones that we had read really close to finishing the Akatar series and this was like big on TikTok and we were like oh maybe this will be a similar type of thing and it wasn't dissimilar I think I was so upset because it is very similar to Akatar um in that there is a chosen one heroine, there is a chosen one fated mate, and then like chosen family around it. And it's like, okay, we're all going to get together and kick and scream about it until we all finally decide that we love each other. And then we're going to go off the deep end and fight the bad guys. It did yeah. feel like Akatar light. Yes, it, it's Akatar light for Ak sure. Diet Akatar. 
Like yes, but I don't even know if that's Diet Akatar because there's like just as many books in this series, right? For sure. But like from reading the first book and like thinking about like the first book of uh, words are hard. Akatar. Akatar. Thank you. Uh, I I could see some of the parallels being drawn. I can see mm-hmm. some similarities and like the camaraderie and like I can, I can see some pieces. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I am curious to know if the continuation of the book or a continuation of the series would bring it to Akatar levels based off of this first book. I am, I am too because in this book, the lore that we get is very I will say surface level and mm-hmm. like recent history. So there's not a lot of like mystery around different beings or different types of beings. And we are also not talking about things that happened 200 years ago in the past. It happened, you know, within the last 20 years. So it's easy to digest in that way. And and I think that's primarily why I would couch it as like Akatar light. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, but the cover, we usually talk about the cover. This one's pretty meh meh like it's just a, a dark reddish burgundy background with like the crest the mountainy which is also very Akatar feeling so it's high mountain courts we have this mountain and the stars so very similar in that visualization I love a simple cover I do too and so I really like this cover because I feel like It reminds me of like an older book that has a very simple cover on it Mm -hmm. and is not overly complex. So I find it visually pleasing to look at because my brain is not like, what is happening? There's 700 things happening on this page. It's like, no, here's some text. (laughs) Here's some light art. Yeah. No, I like the simplicity. It was just, again, very much that Akatar, like it's the same imagery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's very like meh on its own. I think it would be sharp looking with its three other brothers because they all have the same kind of design Ooh, like you know that. it's it's not spectacular it's not obtrusive it at least doesn't have adonis on the front cover so like that's a win <laughs> <laughs> uh let's get into it katie why don't you take us on this journey sure thing so we start with a map and this is a good map it has stuff on it but it is simple and easy to read there's not too much stuff uh crucially it is present in both the physical copies and in Kindle. So it doesn't really matter how you read this book. You will get the map either way. There, The the realm that's on this map is called Akrith, which is not my favorite word, but it's unique. And the map is basically a circular landmass with five different courts. We've got the eastern, southern, western, and northern, all in the places you would anticipate them being. And then in the middle... <laughs> We have this kind of mountain range that circles the high mountain court. Very so, bitter about map. that one map that was sideways, huh? So bitter about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so doesn't make a whole lot of it. sense. Because why would you do that? Why would you do that? <laughs> I'm still waiting on an answer. Why would you do that to me? <laughs> I I did like the map is great. And it also, um, I mean, it's fine. But I do appreciate that the space that we are given makes sense for the story we are told. Yeah. Looking at you, Gothicana. So I feel like that's something that's important when you're like thinking about a story that you don't realize is such an important component of story writing, which is like making sure that your map, should you have one, makes sense with how much time it takes for you to get to and from wherever you're going. 
Because if you're like, ah, it will take us six months to get there and it's next door, it's like, what are you... What are you talking about? What are you doing? (laughs) But why? (laughs) Um, So we get the map, but we don't have a prologue. So Des, you're dismissed from this one. Or you're excused from this one. Nice. So in the first chapter, we meet Remy, and we immediately find out out that she's a red witch, mostly because a cat has started to rub up against her in this inn in which she's working. Being a witch is something that she hides. For one, the king of the north has a bounty on specifically red witches, but we also get the feeling that it doesn't matter whether you're a red witch or not. There are people called witch hunters who will essentially harass you and sometimes, you know, try to hunt you down like bounty hunters. Remy is tending bar, where she and her brown witch companions currently reside. Her companions are called Heather and Fenrin. Heather is uh, kind of a mother-type figure, a little bit older, and Fenrin is almost exactly Remy's age um, and is described as just being kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. And we get the impression that these three move around a lot. Remy, in particular, tries not to draw attention for herself to herself, specifically because she's a red witch and the king of the north is being a dick about people being red witches. <laughs> we learn that she has sun-kissed skin and dark hair. In the early parts of the book, one of the things I did struggle with is it, it feels the conversations between Remy and Fenrir feels very childish to me. Um, it feels like they are young, like 12 or 10 and I was like, I'm going to really struggle with this as we get further in this book. And there's supposed to be a love interest because I'm going to feel like a creep. Um, yeah. It does get better. But in the beginning, I was like, how old are these babies? I mean, it is. it doesn't really get that much better because they're 19, right? So they're basically children. Yeah. And they specifically, so Fenrin and Remy grew up together. And so that's... I think part of the reason why they have that childish back and forth, but yeah, I, I agreed with that. They still play kind of childish games with each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the communicate the, like the words, the word choice that they have, and kind of the conversations they have feel very just young, interesting as you are learning about these characters. Yes. So we learn that Fay are at the top of the food chain, and they rule the five courts of Ocrith. I just can't bring myself to say that word any differently i think we just don't like ours i know (laughs) i I, for me it's 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 such a like i think it's the fact that it starts with an o and then there's a k in it like i just yeah but the ocarina of time i guess it's a c but it's the same hard sound i like saying ocarina right but it's a softer word because it's more melodic this is more like um i think of this almost like it's not a german word but it makes me feel like german where it's very like Mm-hmm. harsh and abrupt where it's it's not smooth and round in the mouth yeah Ooh. <laughs> oh you know what i Ooh. walked right into that one yeah you did <laughs> so the ruling five courts are those northern eastern southern western that was the one i was missing and the high mountain court there was five they're ruled by fey now there are only four because of the northern king vostemir he overthrew the High Mountain Court in the siege of Yekshire. Yekshire. That's wow. I also wow. didn't like that word. I also hated that. I feel like there were a lot of words that I was like, that's. There was a choice to be made, and you sure made it. You sure made it. Oh boy, did you. <laughs> that is the only good takeaway from <laughs> the Golden Iron Book. That and the like, who the fuck do you think I am? Yeah. That was so good. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> Who am I? Say my name. 
So at this siege, the northern king slaughtered all the red witches and left them without a native coven. And so any of the red witches that were not slaughtered there were basically made to fend for themselves and or became property of the other royal fae. So in this first scene, Remy and Fenrin are washing dishes to keep Remy hidden, but eventually Matilda, the tavern owner of this current place, asks her to help out in the front of house. So Remy brings food to a table of four people in the back and immediately feels power in the air. A man at the, ha- at the table kind of reaches out and grabs her wrist to deposit a tip in her hand in such a creepy way, like, here's your tip. You don't just hand that to somebody like a normal person. And he, like, keeps, he doesn't let go. No, nope, doesn't let go. <laughs> And what he puts in her hand are two silver drunai, which is the currency of witches. When he takes off his hood, he's incredibly handsome. He's got an angular face, golden sun-kissed skin, and wavy chestnut hair that fell into his gray eyes. My note here is that this must be the main love interest. He's too pretty not to be. (laughs) He's way too pretty, and they spent way too much time describing him for him not to be. (laughs) (laughs) So true. But when he reveals himself, Remy realizes that this isn't a human male. It's a fae glamoured, a fae male glamoured as a human. So she immediately knows that she's in trouble. She's specifically trying to hide from fae. And so she tries to make her escape as quickly as possible. And this man tells her to have a good night, little witch. So Remy runs upstairs and alerts Heather and Fenrin. They communicate in men. Memnembic? I, yeah, that's... I said mem. Mem. Okay, so for our <laughs> listeners, it's M-N-E-N-B-I-C. Nembic? Membic is how I was saying it Mem- in my head. Yeah, Nembic. So this is the, the witch's native tongue, Nembic. They prepare to leave immediately. She lets them know that there's four fae downstairs. They know she's a witch, yada, yada. And we learn that they're reluctant to leave because they have just recently fleed their past village after Remy had a boyfriend, Edgar, Edgar, who had discovered her powers and tried to kill her. What a dick. What a dick. I also, like, I feel like the, again, they just felt so young. So when I learned about that, I was like, what are you, two? Like, what are you? (laughs) (laughs) And I time understanding like we're told but i felt like i didn't quite grasp why red witches were illegal i still don't really understand right like i get that like the high mountain court fell which we'll talk about and like so that was where the red witches came from but like why are you specifically now being like i just that didn't make sense to me like enough that your boyfriend would try to kill you yeah i also was not sure and i have this note later it's very clear that witches are kind of like i guess second class citizens like they're all kind of hunted regardless of this bounty and i i don't really Mm -hmm. understand why because we get to a kingdom later which kind of distinctly says no i'm all set we're gonna you know protect our witches because we have gardens and we like them so like if we find somebody that's a witch hunter we're gonna hunt them instead of having them hunt our witches so i don't really understand why the the rest of the kingdoms kind of fall into that like witch hunt vibe but um except for not yeah. not but i'm sad womp womp there we go that one sad <laughs> trombone <laughs> sad trombone <laughs> so as fenrin and heather are packing their bags remy goes to the kitchens and 
is it has the intention of grabbing food for them to depart with. When she return, the four Fae have snuck into their rooms and have bound her companions. Remy lies and tells them that the three of them are related. And that's definitely true, except Heather has pale skin and red hair. And Fenrin is a strawberry blonde with also pale skin. And Remy is, again, sun-kissed with dark hair. So, like, they would have very different dads if that were the case. Not related. (laughs) Right. We learned that the main Faye Male's name, the one that had grabbed her wrist and given her that tip, his name is Hale Norwood, and he is the crown prince of the Eastern Court. The bastard crown prince of the Eastern Court, who has been given a royal title anyway, and he has a reputation for being infamously savage and debaucherous, and he burns towns, taking over villages in the name of his father. My notice, oh shit. Yeah, it's rough. It sounds like he's a, a real piece of work, but like... Again, kind of one of the things we've talked about is that, like, that's not uncommon for a lot of this sort of Mm storylines. But when they were like, ah, the bastard prince, I was like, okay, well, we'll see. Well, yeah, we'll We'll see. see (laughs) The book was like, he's real mean and he's real bad. And I was like, okay, well, (laughs) well, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I I totally believe you. Wink. (laughs) So in this exchange, Hale somehow knows that Remy is a red witch and Remy makes a run for it. Friends be damned. She bolts from the inn. Her magic is trying to trap these fae in the room behind her. But as soon as she's outside of the compound, kind of running into the forest, she runs straight into the prince. He holds on to her physically, telling her that he needs her help. And she takes his dagger out of his boot and stabs him in the thigh with his own weapon (laughs) and takes off running again. I love that so much. Yes. Such a badass. It's such a badass. I just, I love this trope of, uh, we've read a couple of books now where like the main love interest and the main character get into a physical altercation and the main character stabs the main love interest in like a leg. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I just, I love it because for so long, I feel like so many books were like, ah, the damsel in distress. She's just an idiot. She's just a stupid girl. She'll never figure it out. And now it's like, no, like <laughs> they may not be the best at certain things, but like they're not an idiot. Like they'll figure some right. of it out. It's not the air awakens. Like I'm so hideous and I'm so unimportant <laughs> and I can't do anything for myself. What could my power possibly be? <laughs> um, we'll talk about it as this book moves forward. But I also think this book handled like, cause there's this fine line between damsel in distress and like, I'm a super powerful warrior for like no fucking reason. Yeah. Right? And this book I think hits that midline of like, I'm a powerful like independent woman, but I also, I'm not just like a master of, swordsmanship for for fun right um so i'm a strong independent man, woman who don't need no man but also train right. me how to fight please <laughs> also please help me <laughs> right which i love so she stabs him in the thigh and takes off running towards the tree line and he gives chase um and <laughs> in trying to get away from him she sends her magic out and fells an entire tree in their path almost crushing this guy hail to death underneath it And she thinks that she's lost him. So she pauses in the middle of a stream, runs herself ragged, um, and sorry, she doesn't run to the middle of the stream. She runs toward a stream with the intention of losing her scent there so that he won't be able to trace her. But on her way, she's kind of running herself ragged and she forgets to basically use her magic to clear the branches in front of her and (laughs) smacks directly into a low-hanging branch, knocking herself off her feet and (laughs) 
eventually knocking herself unconscious, but she's she's awake for the next couple of seconds. Oh my gosh. In those next couple of seconds, the prince catches up to her and he tells her again that he won't hurt her. He calls her red, which I think is unoriginal but appropriate, and I'll allow it. Um, and <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> my note here is I think I'm already enjoying this book more the first time or more than the first time I read it. <laughs> so like this early on, I was like, you know what? I think I'm in. <laughs> which is impressive because I think this is like page 45 or something <laughs> mm-hmm. the thing that i think is really funny is like i hate a miscommunication trope and that's quite literally what this is but i will say we started off on the wrong foot because when you tie up my friends i'm not gonna think oh what a good guy right exactly <laughs> <laughs> very true very true i will say that when she wakes up we do walk into some ham-fisted bullshit that i was not here for so remy wakes up and they're not in the end they're in some kind of ruin She's not bound, and she sees Heather and Fenrin. Heather comes over to tend her wounds, but also Hale and these three other fae are there. And Remy realizes that two of them are female. And they have this interaction where Remy asks, you have you have two female soldiers? And one of them says, you don't believe females make good fighters? And the one of the female um, soldiers bites back and says... Says the little witch who nearly escaped a fae prince and felled a giant pine tree with her magic alone. No one here will underestimate you because you are a woman. My name is Karis. And I'm like, uh, okay. I know. I was like, okay. Okay, Look, Karis. You seem I, like yeah. a- I'm here for women empowerment. Women are badasses. Absolutely. But let's not shove it down people's throats unnecessarily. <laughs> right. Like, especially because I think in this scene, Remy wasn't asking because she thought women couldn't be soldiers. I think she was asking because Hale has this reputation of being an asshole. Right. And like debaucherous and party boy. So it's something to do with women. It has to do with like, he works with women and respects them. Okay. Right. Maybe he's not so bad after all. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Anyway, we meet Karis and the twin eagles, Talon and, uh, no, sorry, Tall Han. Tall Han? Tall I, Han. I've read it as Talon. Tall Hand. Tall Han. Talon Tall and Briata, who goes by Bree. Bree, which Thank is. Thank God. I, I read it like Talon, like a, like a, like a, like a. Yeah. So Talon is male. Listeners don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like a hook with your finger. She's like making the letter R claw. in sign language. And I am making the letter R in sign language. Um, like a like a bird talon. Cacao. Cacao. So Karis and Briata Bree are female, and then Talon is male, along with the prince. They have this rather lengthy conversation where they're basically negotiating terms. And the prince reveals that they are looking for Raphael, who is the eldest child of the fallen king and queen of the high mountain court. We learned that both Hale and Remy both knew him, but we don't know how Remy did yet. Remy maths that Hale is 28. And so remember, we, we don't know this quite yet, but we math later in the book that Remy is 19. So they have almost a 10 year difference, which I think also might be why she feels a lot younger. But again, like, he's a fae. So like, I, I think that's one of the things that, like, I feel about a lot of books that we've read is, like, okay, so you're a fae, and either you are a million years old, and that's weird, or <laughs> you're 28, and I'm, like, does that make you a baby in fae years? Like, do you not know how to tie your own shoes? Or, like, what is the the growth path and the maturity path for fae? And so I think I have that question every time we read a book, and this one was very much just, like, okay, so what? <laughs> yeah. 
it varies. Like I think most books, they're relatively immortal, but I, we don't really get that in this book. Or if we did, I missed it. Like we I feel like they're all just like normal ages. So maybe they are. They live normal lengths of time. That's fair. That would make more sense in my brain. But again, we were not told either we're way, not which told. is fine. I'm I'm not mad at that because I can understand that that's a complicated question to answer. Um, so, you know. Yeah, the the gap between humans and Faye seemed a lot shorter in this book because by my tracking, there aren't like 100-year-old Faye just walking around and they're not all stunningly beautiful. We meet several Faye throughout the book who are described as basically being hideous yes. and like warty basically with bad teeth and all of that stuff but they also but so they they also can't wield magic so there there's a difference in this book between witches who do wield some kind of magic and fey so fey have like superhuman strength and then they also like heal relatively quickly um so they they're physically stronger than most humans and they can also use something called a fey fire. But fey fire is really the only part of their, quote, magic that we've ever seen. And it's revealed later in the book that they stole that from Red Witches. What I think is fascinating is this notion of the fey fire as we get more into it. Because, like, it basically seems like everyone can communicate via candles or fire. Like, everybody's got some mm-hmm. sort of cell phone situation going on. And I thought that was a really interesting mechanic but it's yeah. never really delved into a whole whole lot so like there's not a lot of explanation on how that magic works and again like that's a that's a very big ask for a book to kind of go into those details but i did like that aspect of being able to communicate across long distances instantaneously yeah i did too I like because too. it cut it cut the kind of yield miscommunication trope off at the knees yes yield yeah oh yes (laughs) and it does give us some insight to like the limits of power um a little bit so like like a little bit more of where the magic system comes from what it can do what the stop gaps are yeah the limitations and things like that yeah so anyway hale and his merry band of murder hobos are looking for (laughs) this eldest child of the fallen king and queen of the high mountain court everybody believes this high mountain court to be dead but the northern king can't wield the immortal blade which is something that he stole from that kingdom when he basically sacked it we learned that the immortal blade is this mythic weapon that can level armies in one fell swoop and kill enemies at a distance without even touching them with very powerful magic and it's bonded to the family of the king and queen of the high mountain court through blood magic so essentially anybody who's still living of that line can wield the blade which prevents others from doing so and so since the northern king can't wield the immortal blade he intuits that he hasn't killed that entire family yet (laughs) so we learn through this conversation that remy also escaped the palace of the high mountain court the night of the northern kingdom's invasion the high priestess of the Red Witches, Baba Morgana, pulled her along, so basically saved her life. We don't, at this point, know what the relationship is between Remy and Baba Morgana or the high priestess or the royal family. Or but anything we do... at all, really. We just know that she escaped. Like, that's right, all exactly. the information we have. <laughs> right. Hale and his merry band say that they want to restore Raphael to the throne. But 
Remy calls his bluff saying, why now after 13 years? And Hale basically says that submission was a survival tactic. There was no way that anybody could hold a candle to the Northern King's army. And so they basically submitted until there was an opportunity for capitalizing on the Northern King's weakness. Remy still holds a grudge though. Even if now uh, the Northern King's armies have dwindled, one of the other things that we learn is that uh, the Northern King is attempting to break the blood bond of the Immortal Blade using blue witches. We don't really know what blue witches are yet. And we also learn that the red witches are gathering. Baba Morgana still leaves them despite Remy having seen a mountain fall on her 13 years ago when <laughs> she fled the High Mountain Court. No and this deal. is when we math that Remy is 16. So that happened 13 years ago. She was 6. 13 plus 6 is 19. Yep. Yeah. Yes. The thing that I find interesting <laughs> as we're going along is we get these we we get these sprinklings of other types of witches that are using different colors to divide them. So we know about brown witches, we know about red witches, we've heard about blue witches, and it really made me wonder how many varietals there are and like she does cover some of them and like we learn about some of them later on. But again, it's more just kind of like offhanded. And I liked that aspect a little bit because it made the world feel bigger. And it also allowed things that I think would be covered later on. Like at some point, violet witches are mentioned. And I'm like, great, I would love to know more. And it's like, well, maybe read the next book. And I'm like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. All right, I hear you. Yeah. See, I didn't like the way that was handled, actually, because we get we haven't gotten there yet, but we get this like secondary information dump where it's like this color does this this color does this this color does this there's five but i'm only going to talk about four and then it's it's like a one sentence each and then it's like kind of talked about and then we're going to bring up the violet witches i'm like so are there five because that makes the fifth one or are there more than that and i just i i didn't like it and also one of the witches i think just has stupid powers and so it bothers me i will admit i did not like the power <laughs> delineation between them because it felt very unbalanced it did not feel it felt like light lark like what the hell is happening <laughs> yeah i will i will agree that i felt that as well but i liked the fact that like it not i i don't think every book should answer all of your questions i like it when books give you a little bit more to chew on for future books as long as it's not massive cliffhangery um and I feel like, to your point, like, there wasn't enough information as we went along to give us more flavor text for them. It was, like, mentioned, like, these one witches were mentioned once and then never again. Like, Well, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, we get this, like, paragraph about them. And that I think that's where the Tell Not Show came in, where we get a paragraph, like, I'm going to list all the witches. But then we interact with a lot of them. So, like, you didn't need to give me that paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. I think to that point, we haven't explicitly said what brown witches do, but brown witches essentially are healers and expert foragers. And so that's what Heather and Fenrin are. That's why Heather's healing Remy in this conversation. But to continue on the information dump, because we have a f so much more information to tell you guys. <laughs> so Remy balks at basically Baba Morgana still living, but Hale tells her that a courtier friend of theirs, Burn knows it to be true and that Remy should use her candle, the red candle in her possession to confirm it. And in this message, this courtier friend calls her specifically Little Sparrow, which was the nickname that Bob Morgana had for her. So this, I guess, makes her believe that what they're saying is true. More information dumping. We learn that the prince is not just looking for Raphael, but he's also looking for something called the Shilda ring and the amulet of Alusian. 
Both are magical objects. The first can protect slash shield the wearer, making them indestructible. The second allows the wearer to access red witch power. If it, the, the, I don't know if we get it here, but basically they're, they're trying to find these objects to help Raphael retake his throne. So she asks what's in it for her, and he says basically that he will tell her the location of the Red Witches and where they're all staying, um, but only if she agrees to help him. And she, of course, would like to see um, basically her real family. Like, her parents are dead. She's pretty sure of that. But the people, other people who are raising her, Baba Morgana mm-hmm. and others. And so, like, that seems to be, like, the main carrot for the stick yeah yeah so she's trying to find like she's she didn't know that there was any material like unit of red witches still and to hear that they're gathering is kind of like giving her hope yeah okay so eventually remy agrees to this and the brown witches are coming too and they're just kind of tagalongs so Remy is like, you don't have to. And Heather's like, no, we come with you. And Hale's like, fine, as long as you don't slow us down. And it's like, okay, well, you could have just stayed back. That's fine. <laughs> this is fine. They're very aggressive about it. Yeah. So they have this conversation. And then we immediately jump like headlong into they've been on the road for a couple of days. And it seemed a little jarring to me because they are traveling. They're paused on the road while traveling. And <laughs> Fenrin and Remy are foraging and it, it seems very much like we were taken out of one conversation and dropped into the middle of something else happening. And I found that a little bit hard to follow. Did that, you guys struggle with that? Yeah. And this wasn't the only place that that happened. That happened a few times throughout the book. And it, it was definitely like, it wasn't a deal breaker, but it was jarring every time where I was like, wait, what? Who? Oh, we're here now. Oh, oh, oh. The pacing yeah, was weird. I, I, the pacing was weird. Like... We would end a scene, and like Des said, this happens a few times. Like, we'll end, like, at the end of a conversation, and it'll be like, I wake up to a boot in my back. I'm like, when did you go to sleep? Right. Where are you You asleep? were just on a horse. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And this is, in this foraging conversation is when we get that paragraph about the other witches. So we learned that the blue witches had the gift of sight. The green witches made delicious food and gardens grow. The red witches could animate objects. And the brown witches were healers and expert foragers. So we only really talk about four there. But we do learn that there are other witches outside of this later on in the book. (laughs) Remy and Fenrin talk a lot. And Remy kind of ruminates that their group could have had a lucrative foraging business were it not for Remy and the need to keep her secret. And it strikes me here that it's an awful lot of loyalty to ask for from Heather and Fenrin. And I don't really understand why. Like, yeah, she's a red witch, but, like, who gives a shit? Well, so the other thing, too, is I don't understand their origin story together. Like, so I know that Heather and Remy found Fenrir. And so, like, they were like, yeah, we'll keep you safe or whatever. But I don't understand why there's so much loyalty from Heather to Remy and, like, how those two met, really. So I don't understand where that bond comes from. Also, like, the place where they were found, it's not illegal to be a witch it's just not okay to be a red witch and so mm-hmm. like for them it's not really a, a problem for the brown witches to be there but it's a problem to associate with her and so i don't understand enough of that bond and why they're risking that yeah and we even though and we, even when we find out like when and kind of what is going when heather and remy meet and kind of what's going on there a little bit more we still don't get the full story of 
where Heather came from. Right. And who she is, right? Because later on in the book, it's not giving anything away, but she has conversations with Remy and Remy realizes that she basically knows nothing about Heather before her life together with her. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well. That could be an interesting plot point. So this really is like a, it could be an interesting plot point, right? Yeah. Or it could be nothing. (laughs) It could be nothing. There's no way to know. There's just no way to know. In this scene, we also see one of those childish games that Fenrin and Remy play where they talk about their mansion in Yekshire. Basically, they like talk about, oh, in our mansion, what are we going to have? I, I think we should have XYZ room. And it's a game that they've played since they were 12. And it's painfully clear to me that Fenrin in this scene like like likes Remy. Oh, it's and- so painful. <laughs> so painful. And she just has no idea. Yeah, I was definitely like, oh, he's in love with her instantly. (laughs) Immediately. In this conversation, when Remy and Fenrin are playing this game, Remy has this like sea change mentally where she pulls herself out of this game and she asks, what was the plan? Like, what what were we going to do? How were we going to get to our mansion in Yekshire? Like, were we just going to keep hiding for the rest of our lives? And Fenrin's like, we were just we were just playing again. She's like, no, shut up. I'm tired of hiding. And she says that meant internally. She doesn't say this to Fenrin, but she basically thinks to herself that the High Mountain Court deserves its vengeance. And to me, at this point in the book, that seems like a pretty big task for one lone red witch with like very little stake in this entire thing to take on. Yeah. (laughs) I understand why she cares, but I don't understand like what about this moment or this meeting with the prince or whatever has made her feel so empowered that like this is going to happen because later in the book she actually thinks to herself like oh this is not a real thing like we're not actually going to accomplish the thing that we're setting out to do like finding the ring or restoring Raphael to his like leadership throne whatever so like I don't understand where she gets this gumption from and then simultaneously where it goes later on yeah it seems like one of those things where she, something has ignited in her. And because we don't have all of the information, it seems a little bit jarring and out of place right now. But at some point, I don't know, especially reading this the second time, it very much feels like an awakening is happening where she was sleeping for so long. And then throughout the course of this book, she just starts to wake up and become like her actual self. Yeah. Which, seeing it from that lens, I think, again, made me appreciate the book a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so that evening, they stop for camp, and they ask, kind of everybody at the camp, asks Remy to tell them a story of the siege of Yekshire. Which, (laughs) sorry, I just, like, it's like, tell us a story of when your whole family was slaughtered. Well, to be fair, they they start out there like, hey, tell us a story of the Red Witches. She's like, I don't know any. And they're like, okay, tell us a Brown Witch story. She's like... Those are boring. And then they're like, okay, well, tell us something that you remember. And she's like, I'll tell you about the siege of Yekshire. Oh, yeah, it's okay. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and then so she really takes on. She's like, let me tell you about the night my entire family died. And it's like, girl. <laughs> okay, then. Yeah. So she she starts the story off with Baba Morgana and says that Baba Morgana had the first gift of sight the night of the siege, and that's why she was able to get some of the Red Witches out, including Remy. She led them up a vertical climb up over the mountain while northern archers shot at them, and one hit Baba Morgana through the throat. Once they kind of got to a place where they could rest, 
Baba Theodora, then the high priestess, um, invoked the midden brick, which is the most powerful magic any witch can cast. And she swapped her life for Morgana's. And that spell made Morgana even more powerful and able to catch arrows as they were being shot and then hurl them back at their owners. It also made her the leader of the Red Witches in that moment. Which is pretty fucking badass. Pretty fucking badass, man. It is yeah. really badass. <laughs> I also really like the idea of the midden brick that any witch can cast it and basically trade their life for someone else's. Mm-hmm. That's yes. fucking rad. Yeah. It's so rad. I do wonder if it's going to come up later on. Hmm. Who knows? Hmm. <laughs> Foreshadowing? I don't know. <laughs> Foreshadowing or fun fact. <laughs> so Remy tells her story and then Hale scoffs uh, rather rudely that the Red Witches didn't protect their king and queen. And Remy obviously bristles at this and says that the ones who did died. He presses her about her parents, and she tells them that they're dead. He pushes more, and his soldiers kind of have a weird reaction to this. Like, they're almost embarrassed. They're like, hey, cut it out, man. Like, back off. And Remy continues to be upset, and she's like, oh, okay, so you don't have any hardship yourself. You have to hire other people and find it in others so you can experience trauma. That's cool. You're just a spoiled bastard prince. And he calls her a hiding coward, and Remy stalks off into the night. Which, I mean... Not wrong. It's not wrong. Nope. So she stalks off into the night. She goes and stands by a river and is fuming. And then we get the quintessential, he is not so bad scene. So Karis goes after Remy. They talk to each other by the stream, and she essentially says that the prince is a good guy. They came up through the tower together. <laughs> I love this, like, redux of <laughs> Katie's narration of coming up through the tower together. <laughs> I mean, she basically says, you know, he's a good guy. You know, he's he's got his own struggles. And Remy asks, you know, are you together? And Karis is like, no. And basically says that she, Karis, had eyes for someone else. And that she had her heart broken and that also the prince was fated to someone else. So he had a fated mate, obviously not Karis. And this fated mate thing comes up later on. But it it's weird in this conversation because to me, we this is the first scene that we have with Karis and Remy alone. And I don't know why they're so close that they feel they can have this conversation. And it... It makes me think about the fact that we jumped forward so far that like, and I felt like that throughout the book where like relationships were formed very quickly, but the the book also moved at a pace where I was like, oh, did the friendship thing happen in the black part? Like fade the black, like right. fade to black friendship time. And I'm like, I okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> fade to black friendship time should be more merch. <laughs> so the faded mates thing in this book is only for Faye. It seems like that doesn't happen for witches. It doesn't happen for mortals. And we learned that Hale was fated to one of the princesses of the High Mountain Court who died during the siege. And Remy has a strange reaction to this. Her stomach drops. And then we kind of have this fade to black scene where they go back to camp. Did anybody have any thoughts about this at the time? (laughs) Well, Des doesn't know how this book ends. so (laughs) I feel like I'm in trouble. Like... Usually I'm in trouble for not reading the prologue. Now it's like, well, I, I didn't read the last, like, 30% of the book. So, like, it really is an exciting <laughs> journey for me. I 
there were a lot of um, Remy's emotional reactions that I was just like, I know we're getting at something, but I would kind of lose the thread where I was like, why is this your response? Because I don't mm-hmm. know all the information, which was fun as a reader because I didn't, I wasn't surprised by the ending by any means, but these things I was just like, okay, why? I just yeah. assumed, why do you feel that way? I just assumed that they were faded mates and therefore dropped for that reason so we'll see uh, i don't like the faces you're making at me <laughs> it makes me feel like an idiot no you're not i know you're spot on oh good yeah okay great yeah. you nailed it great well um, and it's like you're too super spot on and that's why i wasn't surprised because we even um i don't think you mentioned it but this happens a few times where heather is like remember who you are and she's like, I'm just a witch. And I'm like, okay, you're clearly not. <laughs> yeah, okay, Rafiki, we get it. Remember who you are. <sighs> Everything the light touches. Right. So the next time they're at camp, Remy goes out to hunt with a knife and comes upon pheasants. And her intention is to get these pheasants and add them to kind of the, the meal pot for the evening. She wants to be useful. Hale comes up behind her and is like, oh, I got to see this. And he bets her that she can't catch them all with a knife. And she takes that bet. So if he wins, she has to compliment him. And if she wins, he owes her a new bow with arrows. So she does use the knife, but crucially, she uses her magic to kind of ensnare the pheasants and kind of immobilize them so she can just cleanly slit their necks. And (laughs) I like that kind of trickery that she uses to, to get around the bet. And in this whole exchange, Hale tells Remy that her magic is beautiful, and she's like immediately self-conscious and, and also excited. He apologizes for calling her a coward, and she just doesn't know how to feel at all about this entire exchange. I did like their banter together. I, I did find the way that they were interacting cute and kind of fun. Um, sometimes it was a little obnoxious, but overall, I did enjoy some of the like the fun jokes that they had back and forth with each other. I liked how they interacted too. It felt very real to me where you you get some of these fantasy romance situations and you're like, wow, cannot relate. But all of their interactions felt very like realistic. Yeah. Yeah. And and even though, I mean, much of the beginning that it is a faded mate, so we just talked about that, which gets kind of old. They do have a good trajectory. Like, I mean, they're immediately attracted to each other, but it's not that like we're destined off the bat. Like they have like a normal development of feelings, I feel like, which I appreciate because it's not that faded mates in the way of like, well, you're forced to be together. Right. Like instant intimacy kind of thing. Right. We don't have that, which I do appreciate. Like they actually have that getting to know you. <laughs> right. Getting to know <laughs> all about you. <laughs> So the group continues on. The witches struggle to keep up, but the Fae obviously do not. Only Karis really seems to care about the witch's plight, and she calls for a brief rest. And while they rest, the Fae talk about the rest of their troop, which is stationed on the border with the north, and how the northerners continue to harass eastern villages and kind of abuse their power a little bit. During this conversation, Remy takes off her boots because they're way too small for her and, like, actually causing her feet to bleed, which is disgusting. Mm Mm-hmm. Hale has left the party to walk off a little ways and talk to his father through the Fae fires. So we talked about this a little bit before, but this is a magical thing that only Fae can do. They can talk to anybody else 
who is Faye through these fires. And only Faye can understand it, right? So even if somebody was around them that was not Faye, they wouldn't be able to understand what was being said. As Heather heals Remy's feet, one of the twins remarks that Heather must be a very powerful witch because the bruise on Remy's face, remember when she smacked into that tree, is nearly gone. And I don't have a great sense of time, so I don't know if this should be fishy or not. Other than the fact that when this comment is made, Heather visibly balks at the comment. She, like, pauses. So something is definitely up there, but Remy backs up the story and is like, oh, yeah, she's the most powerful brown witch I've ever seen. Which, like, cool, you're 19. She also kind of defers or she's like, oh, well, bruises don't show up on my dark skin. And I'm like, okay. But then, yeah, she just... Also, how many brown witches have you met? Because you guys are just in hiding. Right. All the time. Also, how many fucking days has it been? Like, exactly. Right. That's why I said, like, what is the time here? And bruises, I mean, they fade relatively quickly. So, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, when Hale comes back, he immediately goes over to Remy and starts fashioning her new shoes from a couple pieces of his leather armor and her old laces. Which was an incredibly intimate moment, but, like, I've watched Naked and Afraid before, and I just don't believe that these shoes would have worked. And they don't. They fall apart pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's that, like, he's being incredibly delicate with her feet and, like, wrapping them and, like, you know, trying to make sure that the, the shoes that he's cobbling together make sense and fit her. And she's just, like, staring at him because she's uncomfortable and then everybody else is also just watching this happen. Well, so she does say that everybody kind of fell into small talk, but mm-hmm. it is kind of an awkward thing. Like, okay, um, can I be literally anywhere else, please? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's cute. It, it is cute. I mean, the, the author does a really good job here of building that physical tension because he's touching her skin and she like gets like the electricity and the buzzing and like is basically frozen in place because she's like, oh my God, he's touching me, like all of those things. And it was well done. I mean, yeah, good good build up, good payoff in this book. So no complaints there. Yep. No, no complaints there. It's, it's pretty great. Yep. So they eventually continue on and come to a town named Guilford, beyond which is a bigger town called New Pond. The group agrees that Remy and a couple of others should head to the inn and stay hidden. Um specifically because Faye often passed through this particular outpost and again she's hiding from Faye the bulk of the the rest of the group will shop it's kind of like a shopping trip in Dungeons and Dragons so like people are looking for weapons people are looking for boots people are looking for you know healing potions and xyz thing Um, obviously Remy needs boots and Hale owes her a bow and arrow interestingly Remy does that thing where she asks how she's going to get new boots when she has to stay behind and go to the inn. And they do that. He has a thing for sizes thing, but different because this time it's a fucking woman. Mm-hmm. Which makes way more sense. Because I could definitely find clothes for the two of you. A hundred percent. But could you find yeah. shoes? And... Yeah, girl, I know how big your feet are. Oh, wow. All right. I don't know if I can find <laughs> shoes for you guys. <laughs> I don't know if I mean, look. does, but I can find shoes for Katie. Just we're not talking about shop. We're not talking about fashion here, right? Like, if no, I, if I needed function. to find you boots to walk through the forest, I could do that. Yes, I suppose that's fair. And it, it does. The fact that she's a woman makes way more sense to me because every time it's a man, I'm just like, no, you don't. No, there, right. you don't have an eye for sizes. You have no clue what size these women are. Absolutely I don't know. not. <laughs> but I know that Liz has baby feet, and Des has slightly bigger feet than me. That's it. That's, okay. that's all yeah. I need to know. You can say I have giant feet. 
I have. Giant. You don't have giant feet. Your they're feet proportional are like a size to my body, half. but they're they're larger than. Well, you're also the tallest of us, so it would make sense. <laughs> when they reach the inn, it's Hale and one of the eagle twins, <laughs> not Karis. I think it's Colin. <laughs> For some reason, I thought and... you'd be like, "It's hailing," and I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> no. <laughs> It's hailing. So it, it's Remy, Hale, and then one of the Eagle twins, I think it's Talon, who go to the inn. And Hale poses as basically like a wealthy merchant, and Remy is his newly pregnant wife. And the innkeeper just like doesn't believe the story at all, but like gives them rooms anyway. And when they go into the inn, she quickly signals to Remy that she too is a witch. And Remy's like, oh, cool. Like, we're good. Because even if this woman isn't a red witch, they have like the witch's code or whatever. And so they're not going to give up on this story that is so obviously false the sign that the innkeeper gives remy is basically to touch the center of her chest where totem bags once hung and so this is when we learn about totem bags which were bags that held important objects and each witch has one but they mostly don't hang around their necks anymore they're usually concealed within their their clothing so remy's is sewn into the lining of her tunic for example so as Hale and Remy kind of wait for the others, I don't know where the eagle twin goes off to, but he probably fucks off to find rooms. But they, Hale and Remy are eating, and they have a conversation. She asks whether they are going to the Silver Sands Harbor on the border between the Western and the Southern Courts. And Hale hedges, saying that he can't tell her where they're going. And so instead, she asks for his full name, and he gives it, which is this long, many named name that is not important so I didn't write it down and he asks for her name in return and she tells him that her name is Remy Singer and he calls her a liar and her inner (laughs) monologue confirms it but we don't get her actual name yet nope but it's not Remy Singer (laughs) at the end of the meal she orders for four slices of cake actually sorry she orders three and then (laughs) Hale says three and she's like oh I'm sorry did you want some four slices of cake please and gets four (laughs) slices of cake she has to and feed then, the baby. <laughs> has to feed the baby, eating for two. And proceeds to eat them all. And afterward, Hale is like, my God, can you just hurry up? I have to piss. I loved that scene because he starts, like, they're kind of flirting. And then, like, it's cute. And then he starts getting really agitated. And she's like, do you have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. He's like, so bad. <laughs> Which I like, love. Go. <laughs> Which is, it's so fun because no one ever talks about going to the bathroom in books no this scene was good except it was so obviously a setup for what happens next because he leaves and she's alone and she realizes that there are two witch hunters at the bar and she's obviously alone now yep so there's the two witch hunters at the bar and then there's this father and son that have been eating behind them and the father like they, they get up to leave but somehow they tip her chair back to and it startles her and Later, she realizes this was a ploy to make her powers, like, come out when she's startled. And so when she uses her powers, her eyes and her hands glow red. Um, and this is how the witch hunters know that she's actually a witch and they found their target. But before they can make a move within the inn itself, the innkeeper comes back out and says, Oh, I found that thing. Come with me. It's the, the pattern for that blanket for your baby that I was talking about. And she basically spirits her out of the inn and tells her to run um, through the village, out the back, and she'll find a safe place in the woods. She asks whether she should tell the bastard prince where Remy is going. So somehow she knew that that was the bastard prince, and Remy tells her that she should let him know. As Remy walks through the village, she runs into two more witch hunters. So the two guys at the bar, but crucially the father and son were part of them too. So she runs to the father and son. And then the two other guys show up and Hale is still nowhere in sight. And so these guys proceed to physically assault her 
um, to get a bounty, essentially. They beat her up pretty badly, so much so that she vomits up the cake, like kind of onto the street and all on herself. And the most that she's able to do is free one of the guy's belts and wrap it around his neck and strangle him to death. But Hale finally does arrive and beheads the man about to do the same to Remy, and he tells her to run. She does so while he dispatches the other three, and she just kind of hears them screaming for their lives behind them. She flees into the forest and to a stream and washes the blood from her face. And when Hale finds her, he comforts her. He allows her space to feel her feelings and to feel the panic and be in that situation. When she gets up or tries to get up, she ends up falling on top of them and they tumble together onto the ground and they have a moment. <laughs> Which was a good moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. I liked it. <laughs> she falls on top of Hale, and she's basically trying to cover the fact that she's freaking out and then also, like, run herself ragged. And she's like, I just have a cramp in my thigh. Like, I just fell over. And he's like, oh, let me help you with that. <laughs> he starts, like, massaging her, like, thigh, like, all the way up her thigh. On the uh, back. On the back of her thigh where she is cramping. Quote, unquote. <laughs> Until the muscle releases. Until the muscle releases, which seems kind of orgasmic because yep. I don't know if you've ever had a cramp. They fucking suck. Like, I'm picturing yeah. this like a Charlie horse in your thigh and then having this really hot man, like, massage it out for you. Where do I sign up for that? <gasps> Where do I sign right. up for that service? Right. <laughs> I want that service. There's so many oh, moments yeah. with Hale that are just really sweet and really hot. And I think the author did a great job of combining just this like really steamy individual with like not not intimate moments but like not overtly intimate moments yeah like this well and i think they're made more intimate by the fact that he is emotionally available yes (laughs) like very much willing to be here and like receive her trauma and like work through it with her yeah (laughs) and then also a little bit of sex so after this moment, they get up and they kind of stagger back. They hear Talon coming after them. And the way the scene ends is that Remy kind of has like a come to Jesus moment. She's like, I have a bashed in face and I stink of vomit. Whatever fantasy is swirling in my head right now is a delusion. And I'm like, whoa, reality's a bitch, huh? <laughs> it's better than having sex next to a dead animal. <laughs> That's true. I, true. And I also really appreciated that moment because, again, a lot of books like like, I always hate when we're tromping through the forest and it's been weeks in the forest and then they make out. And I'm like, none of you have brushed your teeth or bathed. Right. <laughs> so I like this moment where she's like, that was really hot. Oh, no, that was only hot for me because I'm revolting. I'm running on adrenaline and uh, And I panic. need a shower. <laughs> yeah, I need a shower. So the entire group leaves the town immediately. They continue walking into the night along a path by the ocean. It's so dark that they can't actually see it. And Remy has this whole internal monologue about wanting to pause and light a candle next to the ocean for the full moon. But and and she has always wanted to see the ocean, but she can't physically see it. So like this is the next best thing. But Hale says no. And so essentially she's like, you know what? Fuck you, buddy. I came onto this mission of my own accord. You don't own me. I'm not your servant. I'm going to do what I want. So she goes anyway. And essentially Hale stops her by physically getting in her way and everybody else is just like "Mm, nothing to see here we'll catch you later we'll see you along the path we'll leave you two alone (laughs) and so alone they kind of have this very heated with both 
what has happened earlier in the day and then also sexual tension argument. He laments that she almost died, calling her by her name for the first time instead of Red. But then he covers it by claiming that, yeah, it would be inconvenient to find another Red Witch. And Remy is just like, cool, awesome. That's a super shitty thing for you to say. And she's like, well, that would suck for you. And she basically turns around on the path and she says that one day she'll see the ocean. One day she'll feel as mighty as those giant waves. And she basically tries to swallow the tears that she says are threatening to destroy her. Oh, poor baby. That made me she so just, sad. It also made really me really crumbling. Because you just wanted to see the fucking ocean, you asshole. Right. Right. And I don't understand why he was so vehement about her not seeing the ocean. Uh, specifically because they're like the ocean was up along like. Oh, and then someone could see, see the, the light. Flame. Yeah. Fine. Just because seemed yeah i agreed i mean i get it but it could be anybody you know <laughs> yeah all right other people use candles okay they do nobody uses candles except for witches only red witches <laughs> the illegalist of all witches everybody else uses electricity <laughs> so the group stop for the evening at uh, an abandoned cabin and they sleep at some point remy wakes up and goes outside to do this kind of full moon ritual that she wanted to do by the ocean but now she can't because Hale is a fun monster <laughs> or what's the opposite of a fun monster a fun thief Buzz a wet kill? blanket there we go a wet blanket He's a wet blanket because Hale's a wet blanket um so she lights a candle and then we find out what's in her totem bag she has a fledgling raven feather a piece of red string a snail shell a stick of cinnamon and a pressed white flower during the ceremony, she talks to her mother. She talks about her life, her companions, about killing a man, and she kind of wonders aloud, I'm not sure if you would be proud of me or what I've done with my life. And she tells her that she misses her. And in response, she her she hears a murmured memory say, never let anyone else tell you who you are, Remy, not even me. No one decides how you shine but you. Which I just really like that quote. I, I really liked that quote. It made me feel all tingly. After Remy comes back from her moon cycle ceremony, she finds Hale keeping watch. He finally tells her that they are going to Retmore in the Southern Court and that she should train her magic because she could be a really fearsome warrior if she learned how to handle a dagger and how to, you know, use her magic in a more effective way. She says that she's on board because she doesn't want a prince to save her. She wants to save herself. And girl, yes, I can get behind that energy. Yes, love that. At the end of the conversation, Hale starts to maybe apologize, but she cuts him off and she's like, you know what? I think I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed, which I loved, girl. Ice I him out. I did love ice him out. I also want to know what he was going to say, though. <laughs> I don't I know. like that because, like, if somebody is trying to atone for their actions, I kind of want you to, like, I wanted her to let him. Like, you don't have to forgive him, but, like, let him gravel a little bit. Yeah, but I do think that, like, you need to be, like, you need to be in a space to hear it, or else it's also not fair for the one atoning. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Also, I mean, I, I just love the energy of making him sweat. <laughs> right. And yeah. also that. We just want to be a little, just want to be vindictive. <laughs> because this is, like, still within essentially the same day, right? Like, maybe sit with it a little longer. Right. Like, it did just just happen. Yeah. 
So they continue on to Rutmore, and over the next couple of days, we have like this training montage with Bree, and Bree is training Remy how to fight. So that's a base. That's basically it. I mean, we could get into more details about what they're fighting with, but it's, it doesn't really matter. We learn as they get closer and closer to the Southern Court that this kingdom is more friendly to witches because they like their green witches to be left alone, and often they will pass towns with the heads of witch hunters mounted on spikes instead of the other way around. So this southern kingdom is a very good place for witches to be. On their way, they come upon a prayer tree, which is a giant tree covered in red ribbons hung by the living to commemorate the dead. And they all make an offering. The fae pray to their gods and the witch pray to the witches pray to the moon goddess. Remy thinks about how she met Heather. We don't get a lot of details, just like that she's grateful for her. But... Essentially, she says the last of the Red Witches fled or fell, and Heather was there and took her in. She was seven. Remy prays an ancient prayer from the main temple of Yekshire. It's a forging moment where Remy again thinks about all the horrors that have befallen her and Fenrin and Heather and the countless of other people whose ribbons are hanging on this tree, and she knows that something must be done, and she feels that she must be the one to do something about it. Later, as they make camp, Hale reveals that the heir of Saxbridge is holding a tournament in Retmore where a very special ring will be the prize. This tournament is a poker game, specifically. <laughs> the plan is for the, riches, the witches to be marked as slaves of Hale so that he can protect them, essentially. And we learn that specific to red witches, the northern king allows each royal to own one singular red witch without, like, incurring his wrath or whatever. Which, like, don't own people. Don't don't own people. <laughs> don't own people. I, I don't know. Seems pretty straightforward. I don't know what to say. I know. I Yeah, I felt the same way. Uh, so I, I will say, like, later on when we get to the whole, like, fake owning people, that was kind of hot. Uh, but, yeah. like. I did like that. <laughs> but don't, don't own people. But also consenting adults, right? Like, yeah. Very that. <laughs> right. Very much. So they all go into this arrangement knowing that it's just a ruse, like nobody really owns anybody. But there is this concept of other people owning other people in this place, which is concerning. Yeah. The way that specifically Hale marks Remy as his own is that he gives her a witch collar, which is basically a simple necklace with the the sign of his house on it. It's the Eastern Kingdom sign. And she puts it on for them to go into town. And then the other two brown witches are really just treated as servants. They don't need to be marked as slaves. It's again because red witches are kind of sought after. That coloring moment was kind of hot. I... Oh my god, it was so hot. <laughs> it was really hot, and it like gets hotter. I just oh, mm-hmm. I really oh, like it. Was it. So good. <laughs> I was here uh, for that color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. So it's in this conversation when they're talking about the plan where Fenrin's help co- health comes up. He has a really bad cough and is clearly unwell. And I think it's Karis that points out. She's like, yo, you don't look okay. Are you good, fam? And this is something that Remy just hasn't noticed. And I'm like, girl, you a bad friend. <laughs> you're a real bad friend. And, like, you're all just traveling together. There's not a lot of distractions. So have you just not heard him coughing? Like, I, where are you? <laughs> I don't know how she missed this. I don't either. I also don't know. Like, he seemed to get sick out of nowhere, and so, like, I don't, I feel like that's just got to be, like, a, so many things were inlaid in this book of, like, breadcrumbs, and I felt like this was something that could have been breadcrumbed a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, even with what happened, like, the next few scenes, which we'll get to, it's, like, 
Fenrir and Heather just like stop existing for like seven chapters. And yeah. I'm like, where are they? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so that that's basically the thing, right? Because Fenrir, like, the, he doesn't get wounded or anything. He just like gets the flu. And it's not ruining anything to say that like he nor Heather die as a product of this. It's it's a plot device so that they don't have to be in subsequent things that happen, right? It's a hundred percent a plot device, which I also don't understand why they were there at all because they just didn't have to come the whole time. Well, Heather is vital. Heather and I is think vital. Fenrin will become more vital yeah, in later books. That's true. So they arrive and they're at this inn, um, kind of as themselves right so hale was glamoured as a, a human male before but now he's taken his glamour off and he is embracing his role as this debaucherous infamous prince right as are the rest of his crew they're pretending to be drunk they're pretending to be kind of overly enthusiastic and when they arrive the innkeeper is basically falling all over hale like oh anything you need we can get you whatever and this is when it becomes clear that being someone's red witch means more than just being in their service. It means like being in their bedroom service, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so <laughs> Remy's like taken off guard and I'm like, you guys couldn't have had just like a conversation about this. I know. I feel Girl. like it's almost better not to. I, I, I did yeah. like how flustered she was like, excuse yeah. me, what? <laughs> it's right, like, I'm, I'm doing what fucking, Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. like, I agreed to be your owner, but what? Or to be owned but, by you. But. Okay. I didn't know I didn't know it was owned by you, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, but then she like she commits. Girl, she, she does, does. It and it's she, she's so taken hot. off guard and she's like, Oh, actually okay. this is convenient for me because I've she's wanted like, to touch you seven ways to Sunday since like I met you. <laughs> and now I can touch you all I want. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's so they're like steamy. all over each other and it's so delicious. It's so, so good. delicious. <gasps> so that gets more delicious because they share a room, right? And so in their room, before they go out and, like, start making a spectacle of themselves to, like, casually let everybody know that they're there, Hale gives Remy a signet ring to signify that she belongs to him, not just his family. And this is something that she adds to her witch collar. But not to be outdone, she pulls out the red string from her totem bag and ties it around his wrist and says, you also belong to me now. And I lived oh. for this, girl. Yeah, same. I loved it so much. And it was just made better by the fact that um, Hale was like, fair enough. Like, he didn't mm-hmm. balk. Like, he didn't question. He was just like, okay. I have a bracelet now. Yeah, Bracelets like, are cool. Like, like, yeah. oh, so cute. <laughs> I know. God, oh God, so good. It was so good. Yeah. So... Remy gets dressed to go to lunch with the Saxbridge heir, and before they go out, she goes to see Heather first, and Heather tells her, you know, that they're staying behind because Fenrin is, like, really in a bad way, and she's taking care of him, but she'll be fine with these four fey warriors around her, she's sure, and when she sees Remy dressed, like, in nice clothes and cleaned up, she tells her that she looks like a queen, that she looks like her mother. And my note is, do you see what I see? <laughs> <laughs> the obvious uh, answer from Des is no, because she didn't finish the book. But... <laughs> finish the book. <laughs> okay, look. Even I picked up on that. Okay, great. <laughs> That's good. It, it was just so, like, I, I like how the author did it, but it wasn't subtle. 
it wasn't subtle. I mean, so like this wasn't subtle, but the rest of the book leading up to this has been subtle. Like I yes. didn't really get it going up to this. And even there are more things that she kind of laces in beyond this. And so I think that they just did a really good job. Yeah. She does. Yeah. They do an amazing job. And the thing is like, even um, in this, I think one of the great things about books though, I don't know if we really talk about a whole lot. is like, even if I see the plot point coming, the way that we get to the point that I already know is coming is important. Yes. yes. And I so, don't mind if I guess it, if we get right. there. Right. Because again, we're being, we're allowing us to figure it out. We're not being told. And so yes. letting me figure it out when I figure it out or waiting until I'm told basically until later, both of those are fine options. I just, it's important to make sure that you continue to like do it in a nice sprinkling in kind of breadcrumby way. Right. Yes. So the last thing as part of this conversation is that Heather uses Remy's full name, which is Remini. And she tells her to remember who she is. And in Remy's internal monologue, she remarks, it's the one thing she wishes she could forget. Which, oh, girl, that is dark. Mm -hmm. I know. Uh, That was like a gut punch, too, because she's been like pretty even keel and that was like oh you have some darkness inside you well and it was so like the the idea of her like that we've been presented she fleed after the siege she lost both of her parents she's been on the run but nothing about that like that that trauma is one thing but for her to say yes and i also wish that i was someone else is like a different thing entirely yes it is a much different thing so anyway they go to meet Nilo Emberspear, who is the heir to the Southern Kingdom and is the heir of Saxbridge, that those two things are the same thing. And their <laughs> just, pronouns pronouns are they, them. I just want to hug them. <laughs> right. They are the, they're the ones hosting the poker game. And this person is such a bookworm. Like, they have the opposite kind of trope with their mother the queen and them where the queen is the one that's like debaucherous and like irreverent and not logical or like a good leader and just like kind of wasteful and nilo is the one that's like please no new friends i just want to be left alone to read my books but they are like expected to do these things like host a poker tournament with a ancient relic as the prize and so that's what they're doing and I love during this conversation, um, or whenever they meet up with Nilo, Hale says something to the effect of, like, thanks for meeting me here. And Nilo's like, it's fine. It serves as an outing that I had to do anyway. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, they're expected to do, like, so many of these. And this was an easy one that they could just be like, oh, okay, that counts. Great. Let's do that. Excellent. Let's mark that one off. <laughs> so after they eat, Karis asks Remy to dance saying that it will give some of the other nobles something to talk about. Let's and give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she she and Remy dance, and Remy basically says, I don't know how, and Karis will be like, that's fine, I'll lead, I'll show you, it's fine. She admits, Karis does, that she grew up in the Southern Kingdom, as did her parents, even though they are Northerners by blood, and she says, it's a long story, I'll tell it to you some other time. We don't we don't get that story in this this book. We don't get it. So they dance, right? And I guess it's a little bit of a spectacle to see. I don't know if it's because they're both female or if it's because 
Remy's a red witch and Karis is part of Hale's group. Something about this is like scandaloso. And so at the end of it, Brie comes over and she's like, it's time to train. Let's make a spectacle. Come on. And so they start (laughs) training and end up acting like a bunch of kids wanting to be noticed. They're playing more than they're actually training. They spar. And at some point, Brie and Karis have like Remy cornered, but Remy uses her red witch magic to push them into the fountain. (laughs) And she's like laughing over them like, ha, 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 ha. And then they pull her into the fountain too. And so they're just making like a spectacle of themselves, which... At first, I was like, oh, come on. But at the end of it, I was like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I would and, do that. And it seemed like such a... Because I had the same thing where I was like, okay, this is... We're just fun. Okay, fine. But then it's also such a powerful moment for Remy because she has this, like, wow, I used my power and, like, no one screamed. No one ran away. No one's trying to murder me. Right. Like, like people like me. Like, this is this could be really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to hide who I am. It's yeah. that like metamorphosis that you were talking about, Katie, earlier. Like, mm-hmm. it's the shift in her, and it's, it's part of, I think, a very key part of her shift towards growing to be who she is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Accepting who she Coming is. Coming into her true self a little yes. bit. So Hale comes over and is basically like, causing trouble. And they're like, sorry, Dad. And he's like, okay, well, let's go walk around the garden so we can dry off a little bit because I don't want to have to pay to get the carriage cleaned. And so he takes Remy's arm and they go walking together. He is basically like, you're avoiding me. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm right here. And he's like, I, you know what I'm talking about. You haven't looked me in the eye since we fought on the beach. And she's like, fine. And looks him in the eye. And he is like, hi. Like, as soon as she looks at him, he just goes, Hi. Hi. It was really cute. <laughs> it was really I cute. Know. I really like Hale. I do too. I know. Hi. I think Hale might be one of my favorite, uh, like, love interest people. Yeah. Because his personality is simultaneously very hot, but also, like, funny. And those two things are woven together very well. And he's yeah. not toxic, like, no. at all. Like, he's no. just like, Feel your feelings, like... (laughs) Feel your feelings, I'm here. Right. Feel your feelings with me. I mean, and we all love the morally gray, like, somewhat toxic bad boys. But it's nice, it's just like, you're just... I have no negative things to say about (laughs) Hale. (laughs) I know. So, uh, speaking of no negative things to say about Hale, he does apologize to Remy, saying that he was just really scared and that he took responsibility for her life and felt like he had let her down and all of these things. But they're still kind of dancing around this issue because even though he says that she means more to him than just being a red witch, like this asset, she doesn't really know where she stands. She doesn't know what more means. She even has this internal monologue that's like, what does that even mean? What is more? What does care about mean? Like she's dissecting the words like I know every single one of us have done before in our entire lives. Right. And they almost have this moment where they end up kissing, but they are cock blocked by Karis, who's like, let's go to the bar. Who knows that she's cock blocking? Oh, yeah. I swear she knows. (laughs) So after they go kind of bar hopping, they make their way back to the inn and Hale eventually takes the couch, giving Remy the bed to herself. And they have this kind of exchange and he's like, it means more to you than it does to me. Like I've, I sleep in this all the time or more often than you do. And she's like, oh, you know what? You're right. You take the couch. I'm good. (laughs) But she also has this like, 
orgasmic reaction to laying in the bed. And so Hale's sort of dozing and she like lays in the comfy bed and is like, ugh. And he kind of wakes up and is like, that good, huh? <laughs> and they have this really cute banter about like, do you want me in the bed? <laughs> the feeling that I could equate it to is, you know, when you're like freshly showered and you've got freshly shaved legs and you get into a fresh, clean sheet <gasps> bed Yes. Oh, it's like. I feel like an otter. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like an otter. Wow. I do. Okay. I I feel like that's how otters feel when they swim. I'm all slick. Okay. (laughs) Your face. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know if otter is the direction I would have gone. It's a great comparison. I don't think otter is the feeling that I get. Well, it's it's not the feeling I get because it is very orgasmic to me, and I just don't equate otters with orgasms. Yeah, that's same. just me personally. Well, my bad. I want to read about beaver shifters, so I guess it's pretty close to otters. <laughs> no, I no. Your thing is cute. It's just we were going in a sexy direction, and you went in a cute direction, which is kind of par the, par for the course for you, honestly. It, it, it so is. <laughs> wow, what a journey. Okay. <laughs> The next day is the poker game, and they arrive, and we learn that the Northern King's son, his name is Renwick, is playing, as is the Western Princess Abelina and her cousin Delta. This guy, Byrne, who Hale knows, and I, I, I okay, so I, this is never explicitly stated, but I'm pretty sure Burn is the guy that told Hale about the Red Witches in the first place. That's what he... I think so. Yeah, I thought that was explicitly stated, but I can't remember where or why I think that. I, I feel it like it's stated later, like when he shows up. And it they it is him. I mean, so yeah. Burn is the guy that told Hale about the, the game, about the Red Witches. He is the one that gave the message to... Remy calling her little sparrow about Baba Morgana. Like, that's the guy. That's the courtier. When Remy joins the game, they're like mid-game. And so she's been summoned, ostensibly, as Hale's, like, lucky charm. This scene. This scene. God. Oh, my God. This scene, guys. (laughs) Listeners, you are not ready. You are not ready. This scene is a bookmark. Keeping it on the shelf. Not returning this KU. Yeah. For those of you who have read Akatar, the throne scene under the mountain. Yes. That's this scene. That's yeah, the also. scene. Okay, so this is what happens. They're, the, the players are around the table playing cards, and I was about to call her Feyre. Remy comes, <laughs> <laughs> Remy comes in, and she's just dressed like a whore, and she is owning it. And I say whore in the best way. Like, she has mostly skin showing. She's dressed in red. She's got her little witch collar on. And it's the kind of thing where the doors open and she goes in and the room stops. Yes. Everybody forgets how to breathe, how to drool. Like, they don't remember what card game they're playing, what time zone they're in. Like, nothing. (laughs) We know nothing. And she strides over to Hale and sits directly in his lap. And he's, like, instantly hard. (laughs) And they just start canoodling. She's like, wow, you're really bad at cards. And they're like necking on each other. His hand is like under her dress fully, like dangerously close to parts of her body that are sensitive, going to cause her to make uncomfortable sounds. And like everybody in the room is commenting on it and watching. They're like, God, can you get a room? (laughs) Or man, she's gorgeous. Where did you find her? Yeah. (laughs) Can we bet for her? Thanks. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, can we put her as the pot? And uh, 
Hale even says this thing. If it was between him, her or immortality, I would choose her every day. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, so good. It's so oh good. My God. And she, so this author uses, um, she, she talks about Hale's eyes dilating several times, which I love and only recently noticed in practice myself. But that's a thing. Like she uses the dilation of the eyes to like, intuit to the readers or demonstrate to the readers that like Hale is feeling it mm. I gotta go pay attention to that now pay attention look at, look into your husband's eyes when you're like doing it oh, so oh I can like big. picture it okay I am so ready yeah. I gotta go test that are we almost done here I gotta go <laughs> okay Elizabeth <laughs> please report back I was gone all weekend guys <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he didn't come with me but I'm so, <laughs> but he will. All right, let's move on so Liz can get laid. Anyway, <laughs> so it's clear that Hale isn't going to win. Uh, Renwick, the Northern King's son, the Prince of the North, is winning. And he is also the one that's like the most disgusted by this display. Burn is like, can I watch when you guys do it? And Remy's like, I bet you, I, I knew you were the type that would watch. And he's like, oh, yeah, but I wouldn't be watching you. <laughs> so he's super into Hale, which I just love that dynamic. But because Hale is shit at cards and he's not going to win the pot or win the ring outright, they decide to enact their plan. So Remy can feel the ring's power. She knows that it's authentic. She knows that it's the shield. Shilden? Shield deer. Shield deer? She'll she'll day she'll day, is what we said she'll earlier. Day. Okay, she okay. knows that it's the she'll day ring. She can feel its power, even though it's on the table and like she's not physically touching it. And Hale gives her the high sign, and basically she kisses him full on the mouth, and he takes that opportunity to lift her up onto the table, and they just start going at it. Well, and what he gives is the, the high line? sign? It's her whispering loud enough to be heard. I need you inside me right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, so here's like, the thing. That's the sign. <laughs> so I thought the sign was him saying, like, let this be the last hand. That was it the. It is. But then her sign to, like, let's go. So I don't yeah. know. For me, the way that I do it, I picture that they didn't have a sign for her to respond with. She just chose that line. Which I thought- That's also how I got it. But but that was how she got him to put her onto the table. Right. Because I think the goal was to, like, be on the table. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I For me, I was like, I just wanted him to have, like, his... I wanted him to snap. Um, And I yeah. feel like this was that, but also, like, calculated that. So... Yeah. It was. Yeah. 100%. Because the goal yeah. was for them to, like, disrupt the table. Which, ooh, yeah. they did. Oh, they super did. And the room just erupts in chaos. They're like, oh, God, come on, Can please. Just, you gotta leave, man. Come on. <laughs> also, we didn't mention it, but Nilo is just in the corner still reading their book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Re- Nilo is definitely there and not participating. Because <laughs> they have to host this party. But I love the, like, okay, you're done here. Like, go, go. Yeah. <laughs> you're drunk. Go home. <laughs> and so they do. They leave. But in that kerfuffle, they switched the ring for a fake. And so they have stolen the real ring, we, the real ring and the wheel proceed wing. to flee the wheel wing. <laughs> the wee wing. Mwav. Twoav. <laughs> so they head back to the inn and they prepare to leave immediately. But when they're in their room, Remy and Kale. Kale. <laughs> 
wish his name was Kale. <laughs> so leafy. When they're in their room, Remy and Hale kiss again, essentially giving into their lust for each other. And he like picks her up from the back of her thighs, like pushes her against the armoire, and they're going to like go at it. Except they get interrupted by Burn. Oh, they get caught like, by Burn. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse you might want to hurry up. <laughs> they, uh, the way that this comes about is also really steamy. So, like, they get back to the room and, like, Hale is changing. He takes off his shirt and he goes to, like, finish getting changed because they have to, like, leave. And she's like, oh, well, who can play at that game? So she strips off her dress and it's basically just in her underwear and her heels and is, like, bending over to, like, unbuckle something on her shoe. When And Hale, like, comes out and is, like, just staring, <laughs> jaw slack, just like, oh, my God. <laughs> she's so pretty yeah god it's and it's just so hot it's yep. so hot it's, it's so really good hot. yep but as i mentioned burn does cock block them warns them to make haste because he's the first one to notice but is certainly not going to be the last one he mentions that his employer would rather have specifically remy have the ring than anyone else and that his employer and Hale have similar interests, and so they should, you know, skedaddle. When they try to leave, it's obvious that Fenrin is in no condition to do so, and so he and Heather must stay behind since Remy can keep pace with Faye, which is interesting. But mm-hmm. especially on their second condition, Heather and Fenrin cannot. And so they're moved to private lodgings kind of on the outskirts of the city where they can stay undetected and convalesce while the others move on. They make plans where to meet, yada, yada. And have a parting, essentially. A sad parting because they're not really sure if they're ever going to see each other again. This was the part where I, I, it was, it it was not jarring in the way that the author wrote it, but I felt jarred, whatever. Because. I felt jarred. I felt (laughs) jarred. I felt jarred. (laughs) Like Rita Skeeter. (laughs) Rita Skeeter, jarred. I'm a little beetle. Um, Or was it Rita Skeeter or was it Professor Umbridge? No, it's Rita Skeeter. Okay. Hermione puts in a some jar yeah which is so fucked up but okay <laughs> yep <laughs> she's dark <laughs> she's dark and the jar is unbreakable so if she were to shift she just like dies in the jar mm-hmm. anyway um <laughs> oh so like we had this night before that was like steamy and fun and then we had this whole heist which was steamy and fun and then we're gonna go have sex which is steamy and fun and then we go back to heather and fenrir and i was like oh yeah <laughs> oh <laughs> like, yeah I forgot they existed <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. But so I did during... sh- struggle with their goodbye because I know it was emotional, but I was just like, can we go back to having sex? <laughs> right. Yeah. Can we go back to that, please? Yeah. I, I, I feel you on that because it was such like a, oh, cold shower. Yeah. Yes. yes. Right. All right. Especially because, during, d- especially because during this goodbye, Fenrin is like apologizing to Remy, like, I'm sorry I wasn't enough for you. Basically <sighs> confessing his love for her. And yeah. I'm like, come on, guy. And, like, also, I don't really feel for you because you were never, like, an option in my head or also, to Remy. There's, there's a way that you can say, I've always loved you, but I understand that you don't feel the same without saying, I'm sorry, I was never enough for you. Yeah. Right, because that seems very backhanded. Like, yeah. you clearly rejected me and you don't know what you're missing. Right. On the uh, on the manipulative side, I think. Yeah. As he's dying. He's <laughs> yeah. not. He's fine. But, like, he's very ill. <laughs> he's very ill. Anyway, they leave him behind. And on the road, they have horses now. But since... 
Remy doesn't know how to ride. She basically gets up to her horse and she's just like, uh, what do you want me to do with this thing? And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I just assumed that you knew how to ride a horse. Which, like, and she's why? like, check your privilege, brother. <laughs> right, like, I've been on the run. Where would you think I would have kept a horse? Right. So instead, she rides with Hale. And yeah, she does. It's the one bed trope, but it's a one horse trope. And I'm here for it. <laughs> and it continues to be delightful. Yes. It really is. Yeah. Because she's, like, hyper aware of every place their body touches. And I'm mm-hmm. just... And so is yeah. he. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So they're on the road for a couple of days when Fenrin gets word from... Sorry, not Fenrin. When one of the Eagle Twins gets word from Heather and Fenrin. And we learn that Fenrin is better, but now Heather has got the sickness from him. And that Nilo has essentially sent guards to check on them every once in a while so that, you know, they can convalesce in peace and, you know, that... These folks that are moving on don't have to worry about them, essentially. But what they also learn is that Fenrin and Heather plan to go to the Western Kingdom when they're better, which kind of hits Remy like a ton of bricks. They had originally said that they were going to meet up in Yekshire at to, you know, to get back together with the Red Witches. But Heather and Fenrin seem to be saying, like, mm, I think we're just going to head back and go back to our original lives without yeah. a whole lot of explanation. So that's kind of rough. Yeah. Hale, Remy, and crew board a barge to get to the Eastern Kingdom. And on this voyage, Hale tells her about, tells Remy about his mother. This person was someone that he believes his father truly loved, but with whom he couldn't essentially stay with because she was of a lower class. And he ended up banishing her in favor of marrying the queen that he has right now. Thus, Hale got the bastard title. And his father kept giving him tough tasks that he didn't think Hale would complete. And when he did, his father was finally impressed and gave him that title and standing. But it's it's this very fraught relationship because his father doesn't want Hale spending time with his mother at all. And Hale feels some kind of guilt about that. And Remy encourages him to go see his mother because she, Remy's perspective is that his mother is always going to love him and she just wants him to be happy and successful. As a part of this conversation, Remy offers to join Hale permanently after this, thinking, and this is where she thinks in her head, like, we're surely doomed and I'm going to need protection after this. Right. So, like, this is a, as good a plan as ever. I love her realism throughout this. Where she's like, cool, I'm here for this plan. It's not going to work. No. Yeah. Right. That's what I was talking about earlier. Where like, she, like, had this gumption of, like, I can do it and we're going to do this. And then, like, well, we're not going to do it, but at least I'm going to be with some protection. Right. right and even knowing where this book ends i'm still not sure i i think this is probably her inner saboteur being like yeah this is there's no way this is gonna work you're gonna have to find a plan b and i think that that's where this plan b came from but mm-hmm. yeah very weird so the last thing that hale says is that he will have to act differently when they reach the city of winreach which is the capital city of the eastern kingdom and that specifically he doesn't want her around his father because he'll see them and know and she's like know what and Hale <laughs> says he'll know that I'm not pretending and that I care about you and then he just and then walks away right and, and I was like I'm up. sorry what <laughs> could we just yeah. one second come back and she's like can we just oh sorry you just mm, dropped a bomb on me you dropped a bomb, <laughs> bomb on me <laughs> yeah. yeah uh but they don't they don't talk about it anyway Which any, anymore I did like that about Hale because like she's done that to him a few times <laughs> yeah that's fair mm-hmm. um and she's just like ah, Okay. <laughs> I also think that he's kind of 
operating under the thing of like, yeah, you you gotta know at this point. Like, he's right. not hiding it. It's not a secret. He's not hiding it. No, and I think he's like really never been hiding it. But I also can't tell if he thinks it's reciprocated or he walks away because he thinks it's not. I also have that question. He, okay. I mean, so I'm operating, especially reading this twice, that he absolutely knows from the day that he met her. And so he's just like, they're having a conversation with each other. That's subtext to this that neither of them are acknowledging to the reader right now. That they both love each other. Yeah. Right. Or at least want to bang. All right. Okay. So let's let's get to that subtext. Uh, we're almost there. So, so instead of going with Hale and the Eagle Twins to the palace, Karis takes Remy. And they go and stay with Karis's sister. So Karis is a part of Hale's group, but his father doesn't know that yet because essentially they picked her up at a point in time where they it, it allowed her to like stay as like a under the radar part of his group. So she stays with her sister when she comes into town and her sister is half Fae. So they have the same father and her sister was kept a secret from Karis for years and was only revealed on her father's deathbed. And somehow we don't get a whole lot of detail on this, but somehow the person that she was in love with, we find out their name is Ursan and they were somehow culpable in that deception. And Remy tries to basically say you know maybe they were doing the best they could and Kara says they weren't and ends the conversation so we don't know any further thing about her son yeah i really wanted i want to know more about that same i do too so remy meets Kara's sister morgan and her family morgan is married to magnus and they all have m names for their children <laughs> <laughs> which remy remarks is the same as her family so ostensibly all of her brothers and sisters and her mother and father have our names, which is interesting. Is, it seems to be a thing. Like, I know families that do that, and I think it's weird. Oh, I think it's incredibly weird. In the context of this book, it's interesting in a different way. Oh, yes. Okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Given, you know, somebody who might be talking gently in, about a lineage of a particular sect of people and their names. And yes, being exactly. part fey. so during dinner they're all having like family dinner and a herald comes to the door and essentially announces that karis and remy are expected to be at a ball the next night the king knows about them and is very eager to meet specifically remy so karis tells her that well the poker game was all about flaunting who she was and like her power this will be a completely different game they will be trying to hide her as much as possible one because she's a weapon and two because she's important to Hale and she Karis tells Remy that Hale will likely ignore her the entire night and so Remy's basically like well I guess we got some shopping to do tomorrow <laughs> we, we don't see the shopping montage sadly <laughs> I know I wish we did I want to see them go shopping together <laughs> I know so the next night they go to the ball and before they kind of enter, Brie meets them and gives Remy a dagger of her own, which is this beautiful thing, um, finely crafted, jeweled, all that kind of stuff. And she hides it beneath the folds of her dress. At the ball proper, we meet the king, Gedwin Norwood. He is a gaunt man who looks almost completely devoid of life. So while in other books where they have fae, fae are almost these ethereal godlike beings who seem young for most of their life one it doesn't seem like Faye have any kind of 
meaningful extended life. And it doesn't guarantee that they're going to be like conventionally gorgeous and attractive because this guy is described as gaunt. And we will go on to meet people who are described as other distasteful ways. Which I appreciate. I like I like the shift. Yes, I do too. Next to the king is his very young blonde queen and her two blonde children, Hale's younger half-brothers. One of these hung- younger half-brothers asks Remy to dance and asks her point blank if she's fucking Hale. And she's caught <laughs> off guard and is just like, uh, uh. And he's like, oh, so you at least want to be. I see. <gasps> and he basically ends the conversation saying... everything Hale touches turns out to be a disappointment and you don't seem to be any different and walks away from her. And she's just like, what the fuck? (laughs) He's horrible. Yeah, truly rude. So after this dance with the prince, she's pulled by a woman she doesn't know and we never get introduced to. And she just like latches on to Remy and introduces her to a bunch of other people. And Remy, for Remy, it's kind of like a blur. But this woman says it's a wonder that Remy dances so well, given that she's a foreigner, and it's a, it's a shame she's not Faye. In one conversation that she gets pulled into, someone mentions again what a waste tale is, and that if his fated mate had lived, it would have been one thing, a princess from a high, from the high court with some kind of R name. Hmm. Mm. And mm. Remy has a, re- a weird reaction to this, too. She feels closed in. She can't catch her breath. She excuses herself from the conversation immediately. And as she steps out to the balcony for air... There's this kerfuffle in the main room where some northern northern soldiers had come in and they dump the heads of western soldiers at the foot of the king and demand that the king of the east abandon a, a, a town on the outpost where Hale's group is based or that they will face the same fate, essentially. So I laugh because I, this would be horrific, but I just picture someone coming in with like a duffel bag of severed heads and being like, whoop, and just like, letting them rain out because i just i can't picture how you transport (laughs) all of these heads i think even worse i picture the heads that were the companions of um in in spirited away the witches one of the witches had those like three green heads each other yeah and they kind of tumble to get around (laughs) that's what i pictured that's horrifying oh my god i know (laughs) i forgot about those the thing for me is I just like it seemed just so outrageous and like I realize what I'm yes. saying like I'm not never going to be in this world so like maybe it's not that outrageous but I just can't imagine like coming in with the severed heads of people and being like and now you're going to do the thing that I say and it's like <laughs> okay first of all you're surrounded by people who are here like on my dime secondly right. who the fuck are you like how did you get here? Like, I'm just. How did you get here? I'm just trying to have a nice party. <laughs> yeah, it it seems so bizarre. Like, yeah, it it. it I, I I still question. How did you get into the party? <laughs> right, did we not have security like bag checking? I right. who are you? Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. Regardless of the semantics of what actually <laughs> happened in the scene. It shakes Remy, and she basically snaps out of this kind of haze, I guess, that she's been in. And she realizes how incredibly stupid it was to come here and that she needs to go, like, get out. She either needs to get to the Immortal Blade before the Northern King does. And I'm like, why? What could you do with it? 
And, and not before the Immortal King gets to it, before he breaks the blood bond mm-hmm. that's there. And that she needs to, or she needs to go back to the Southern Kingdom and, like, make a life there and be safe, essentially. And she doesn't, she, she's chiding herself for putting herself in so much danger, so much obvious danger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As she's having this realization, the Eastern King calls Hale to him and is basically like you you're gonna do something about this obviously because this is not a great thing for the northern king to do nope but apparently that talk is pretty quick because hale quickly finds remy out on the balcony and they have a brief talk about romantic partners (laughs) yeah like now (laughs) but like his romantic partners right he says that she's that he's had dalliances but obviously never with karis because she wasn't the one for him as he like pointedly looks at remy (laughs) i'm like why are we talking about this right now it's so strange right anyway remy and karis get back to morgan's and it's been ransacked by the eastern soldiers looking for the ring and it's then that remy realizes that the prince that she danced with probably could sense the ring's power in her totem pouch as they danced Mm -hmm. and she's like fuck so they leave and they take shelter in Lavender Hall, which is an abandoned purple witch temple. And what do purple witches do? They are good with scents. Was it purple or violet? Something. Uh, I don't know because if it was purple. At some or point violet. in the book, they mentioned like old violet witches that are not that are not extinct. around anymore. And so I wasn't sure. So I think that's these. Okay. At this so point, for the record, witches. I am out of notes. So I okay. I'm <laughs> this learning. This is all new information for Des. <laughs> I can't wait for you to chime in and ask questions as we go on this journey. <laughs> so this this temple is far abandoned. They meet up with the Eagle Twins, and Hale is also there. And they learn that the king has ordered the twins and Karis to go clear out that border town, that he's going to cede it to the north essentially, and that Hale and Remy are to go to the rotted peak alone in search of the other relic, that amulet that they're trying to find. It's very obvious that the king hopes that Hale will never come back. The king does not claim Hale as his heir. Hale is an inconvenience, always was, except for when he was fated to one of the princesses of the High Mountain Court. And he was just kind of hoping that he would go away, that he would be an asset at that point when he married into that family. But now that that's, not a, that's no longer an option, Hale is a thorn in his side, essentially. I was going to say it bothers me because Hale, like, this really doesn't matter. But the whole story of Hale's mother upsets me where he's like, well, I think I think my dad loved her, but then banished her. And I'm just like, I don't think he loves anyone. (laughs) I'm not really clear even now why he doesn't claim Hale, because his other two snot nosed kids don't seem like they're really useful for anything. No, I yeah, I, I didn't really understand that. And we're not ever really given a good reason beyond the fact that his mother wasn't, like, a, quote, noble fae. Like, she wasn't from the right class of fae, I guess. Right. But I don't know. Seems weird. It does seem weird. The five of them have one last night of drinking together. And during this night, Hale never lets go of Remy's hand, which I just love so much. I know. And so they they leave early the next morning, Remy and Hale, and they have horses, plural, but 
I, I, I don't know. This was one of those times where I, the continuity was a little bit hard because they leave and I have somehow Remy knows how to ride because she gets her own horse this time. <laughs> and then like two pages later, I'm like, maybe not. I'm confused. They, they're on one horse now. Maybe the other horse is just for Pax. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, that confused me too. But as they leave the city, two things happen. One, Hale takes them kind of out of their way to share this particular baked good with her, which I thought was really cute. He's like, I know it's a little bit out of our way, but I just wanted to share them with you. They're my favorite. What kind That's of baked so good cute. is it? It's, uh, it's kind of like a cinnamon bun oh, and an elephant ear had a baby. I know. It sounds really good. It does sound really good. Like a super flaky cinnamon bun. Okay. It doesn't sound like a lot of work. I just feel like cinnamon buns are just a lot of work. But it's like that and like an elephant ear mated. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you get this like with like some raisins and stuff. Buttery. Okay. All right. I'm yeah. In. I'm here for it. <laughs> it sounds really good. <laughs> I don't know why you hate cinnamon buns. <laughs> I don't hate cinnamon buns. Cinnamon buns just have a very small window of goodness. Yes. That's true because they get stale in like three seconds. Well, and also yes, they do. <laughs> they are very sticky to eat. They are not easy to eat with a fork. They're also so called to... sticky buns. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> It's upsetting. You impale one in a fork and then you just eat it off the fork. Yeah, but that's so uncivilized. I don't give a fuck. It's cinnamon buns. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Anyway, now that we've just both affirmed that we're heathens with no table manners, <laughs> the second thing that happens is that they kind of come upon these three drunk people. I don't know if they are mortals or fae. It doesn't really matter. But it's clear that they've been out carousing all night. And as they're passing in the wee hours of the morning, one of the guys insults Hale as they pass, calling him a bastard. And Remy leaps off the horse and holds a dagger to the man's throat and forces him to apologize. Which, like, and my girl. note is, she's gone full murder hobo, yep. just like zero to a hundred. <laughs> and so the the line that Hale says is. I may tolerate your disrespect, but my red witch does not. Mm-hmm. Which, who? And Remy's like, he said my red witch. his. <laughs> 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 okay, so they make their way to the Rotted Peak, and as they get close to it, they actually smell it, and so it smells like death. There is um, essentially lore that when the amulet was placed in the peak, that it imbued all of the land around it with corruption of magic, so... The, the land actually reeks, and then the mountain itself reeks for a different reason that we'll get to in a second. And then the beasts that roam the forest around the mountain are bigger and more fearsome and, like, more bloodlusty than their natural counterparts. And so whenever they camp, they have to make sure that they keep a fire going because that'll help them ward them off. Which sounds so scary. I wonder if it helps with the smell, too. Probably. Probably. As they camp, they make camp for the night, and Remy tells Hale that she that he should wear the ring tomorrow when they go into the mountain. And he says he can't do that. It would defeat the purpose, because if he puts it on, he can't take it off. Otherwise, all of the deaths that the ring prevented will come true, which is gruesome. And his entire purpose is to give this ring and the amulet to Raphael so that Raphael can retain, re- reclaim his throne. They snuggle together for warmth and protection. And in the middle of the night, we have a little bit of a sexy scene because they're like spooning. And at some point, Hale's arm becomes pinned underneath Remy. And it's like on her stomach, like 
between her legs mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. I did read and this scene. I want to be very clear. I did read this, and oh, okay. my goodness, she skipped a part. She skipped ahead of the good parts. I see. <laughs> and <laughs> Remy wakes up, and she's just like, "Oh, this is awkward." And she kind of moves as. Hale twitches in his sleep and it hits like just the right spot. And she's like, oh, but maybe I'm just going to hit that snooze alarm and I'm just going <laughs> to. just going to move into that a little bit. <laughs> uh-huh. And as she does that, Hale says, do you like that? <laughs> oh, so good. oh, my God. Oh, my God. And so he positions them in a better place for him to get her off. And he fingers her until she climaxes and when he when she reaches around to do the same to him he prevents her saying that there are beasts in this forest that would kill them and there's going to be nothing quiet about the first time that he has her i like it you like it good stuff good stuff and <laughs> my note here is that my god is why are these scenes still so good saw it coming from a mile away don't care. Have seen this scene in d- many different iterations. I still don't care. It's still so good. It it's still, still so, so good. good. Which makes me happy because I, I am a little worried with this podcast that we're going to become like desensitized to smut. <laughs> so I think the I'm fact glad. that we read so much bad smut that like when we get to the good stuff, we're like, oh, yeah, that's the stuff. That's the one. Yeah, that's the smut. That's the stuff. <laughs> Let's just mainline that for a little bit. It'll be great. Anyway. That happens, and then he lulls her to sleep and says, dream of me, and she does. <laughs> we don't get what that p- specific dream is, only that she did dream of him. Wish we did. I bet it was good. Dream it was of good. me. I know it's not the song, but... Oh, my gosh. Yes. So the next day, they scale the mountain, a feat in and of itself, but once inside, they have to, like, crawl, literally crawl into the mountain and, like, slide down the chute to get to this grotto within the mountain the mountain mountain (laughs) the mountain (laughs) and inside they behold a literal rotting lake there are bodies everywhere animal and human strewn along the shore some of them are skeletal some of them are fresh and rotting it's horrifying the lake itself also smells like death and in the center is the amulet as well as an antidote for the poison in the lake and basically, there's this plaque or the stone that says only the worthy can get through. There's an antidote that's enough for one. And so basically, good luck. So the lake you have to swim through is poisoned. And there's only antidote for one person on the pedestal. Question. Could she animate the bodies and use them as stepping stones through the rotting lake? Maybe, but she didn't try that. Okay. So that's a good idea. It's a really good idea. Also, could she have just levitated him over there? Probably. Oh, also that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, which she also doesn't do. <laughs> Problem solved. She doesn't do that. So <laughs> Hale is going to go into the water and do this thing. And before he does that, they both give each other a parting kiss, uh. which is basically like, please don't die. Come back to me. Uh. And. When Hale goes into the water, he's, like, swimming as hard as he can because he doesn't know what this poison is or how it's going to affect him. But it's immediately obvious how it affects him. And it ages people. Oh, man. His skin starts wrinkling. His hair starts falling out. He starts losing strength. Like, all of that stuff. In addition to the poison, there are also beasts in the water that start immediately going for Hale. 
they are scaled and black and they have these big yellow eyes but that's really only the only description that we get from them and so remy starts freaking out because she sees this thing and she sees him dying while he's swimming and so she starts picking up weapons from all of these people that have fallen around the shore and starts trying to basically hit the monster to keep him from being eaten she does hit it in its eye and hale makes it to the center but as he does so, another one appears and chomps on his arm and pulls him under. This causes her to dive in herself to try to save him. And as she does so, she scuffles with the monster, gets cut up by the scales, does kill the monster, but realizes that Hale is dead. And so she starts panicking, starts hyperventilating, pulls both of them onto the center platform, uncorks the antidote and pours it down Hale's throat even as she's bleeding out and starting to feel the effects of the poison herself when Hale wakes up he is immediately horrified because he realizes instantly what's happened that he's died and that she's given him the only antidote and so he starts freaking out starts trying to drag her towards the entrance of the cave so that they can get out and get help and get another antidote there is a bridge that comes up so they don't have to sw swim back out. The magic lets them at least leave. <laughs> yeah, that How was kind. nice. <laughs> yeah, so kind. <laughs> so they barely make it down the mountain. As they're doing so, Remy's like basically giving him instructions. She's so tired. She feels the poison taking hold in her body as well as the gaping wounds that she's gotten from these scales. And she tells him that if they make it down, he's to light the red candle in her pack and call for Baba Morgana and that she'll know what to do. And that's what happens. She dies. And when they get back, he calls Baba Morgana and Remy watches the scene kind of astral projected from her, her physical body. She sees Hale arguing with a, a spectral projection of Morgana. And she can't hear what they're saying. But eventually Morgana speaks to her in her mind in between life and death. She tells her that Remy has a choice, that she can stay and fight or go and essentially be forced to watch everything that happens and be powerless to do anything about it. Seems like a really easy choice to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's not like stay and fight or be at peace. It's like stay and fight or suffer. Right. I know, right? She tells her. So Morgana tells Remy that all is not lost, that Remy's sister Rua lives. It's her younger sister. And she tells her where to find Rua, that Rua's been with the Red Witches in Yekshire, kind of hiding out in the, the forest, um, trying to keep safe with each other. Remy looks down at her body and basically sees Hale losing his goddamn mind with grief. <laughs> and she knows in that instance that, or she, I don't know if she knows, but she at least admits to herself that she loves him. And so she chooses to go back. Again, easy choice to me. In case easy there choice. was any doubt. <laughs> right. When she wakes up, she has this fever. So her body's still dealing dealing with the poison. And Hale holds her throughout the night as the fever racks her body, resisting the poison. They never have an antidote. It's just her blood that's fighting it off. But when she does wake up and her fever's broken and she's kind of like able to walk around, Hale's not there. And so she walks to find him in a nearby grotto. And he's talking to his father through the Fire. And what she hears is the king telling Hale to hurry up and find the immortal blade and the prince so that they can kill Prince Raphael and take the blade. He also says that when that's done, 
you need to kill the red bitch. And Hale's basically like, yes, sir, understood. I'm working on it. We're very close. And Remy reels. She's like, what the fuck? How did I not see this coming? Mm-hmm. She confronts him and he just presses her about hearing what was said in the Fey fire. Mm-hmm. Because remember, you have to be Fey. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, right. yeah. <laughs> she has drawn her bow and arrow and she essentially pins him to a tree with arrows. So like one is through his hood and two are through his sleeves. So he like can't move. Just so badass. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just like, I can't kill you, but I don't want you to follow me. <laughs> he begs her to listen and to stay. He says... This is what he has to do so that he can keep his dad off their back. He would never hurt her because they both they both want the same thing. They both want to restore the throne in the high mountain court. But if she doesn't even believe that, he should she should believe him because she's his fated mate. Ah. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> it is then that we get confirmation that she is a princess of the high mountain court. He releases himself from her arrows and kisses her against the tree, both giving into the knowledge that they are fated mates and reunited. But, and then, and they're fully going to go at it, except a growl interrupts them and their potential coitus, and they resign to waiting. They're like, maybe we should get out of here and get somewhere safer before Which, we do this. a good call, but goddamn. <laughs> I know. Uh, so... Uh, hmm. So she's the princess, which I intuited, yes. But my question is, he was fated to her before when she was six they were faded mm-hmm. they were both faded at like six and 16 16 yes so the way that they were faded was a blue witch saw their faded mate situation it's not like he fell in love with a six-year-old got it that was i was right. like and we feel how about this but no okay great no it actually <laughs> yeah. is like it's like the only time i feel like this weird age gap is this was handled in the best way because they don't actually know each other they just right. know that like right. they are destined to be together Got it. And we also, f- we also find out that Hale grew up with Raphael. Like, they were the same age. And so it's not that Hale is this 28-year-old fae that's actually 200 years old. It's that he actually grew up with the family and, like, knew Raphael yeah. and her family and had been to her court. And a blue witch just saw that he was going to be fated to her. Got it. Okay. So at some point... They are continuing on and they're talking about like their situation and it becomes obvious that the reason that Hale or others like don't know that she's Faye is because Remy has been keeping up a glamour of her human self since she was six, essentially, to the point where she doesn't know how to drop it. Like she doesn't know how to reveal her true self. Which is so sad. It's so sad. (sighs) There was another thing that I wanted to say about that. Oh, so this is why, like, so she, she, she had that whole thing where she made the choice because she acknowledged to herself that she loved him. But from my perspective, they get, they have been talking at each other in this way where like, he's like, I know who you are. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about when they're, they both a hundred percent know what is happening here got it yeah i would agree with that from even the beginning like i i think that that knowledge and that acceptance has been there the whole time and so i i didn't find it annoying though which i as we talked about i feel like it's something i would find annoying but i did not find it annoying i didn't either i thought it was really well done especially reading it a second time i was like oh 
you can read these conversations totally differently with the knowledge that you have right knowing how the book ends i know i want to go back and read it knowing how it ends and like rereading all of their interactions yeah their route takes them through the northern kingdom to get to yekshire and on this route they run into the northern king and his son renwick neither overtly recognizes them on the road but the king does ask remy to tell his fortune she doesn't because she doesn't have the sight she's not a blue witch (laughs) Yep. And she kind of has a mini panic attack after seeing them. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're going to recognize me. Like, what am I going to do? But they don't give any outward, you know, signs of recognizing them. And they continue on down the path. I don't really understand how Renwick wouldn't recognize her because he saw everybody says a lot of later. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Everybody says later, you're the spitting fucking image of your parents. Like, I'd have to be blind not to recognize you <laughs> right like i don't <laughs> yeah anyway stupid they continue and take up a room at an inn for the night and in this inn remy essentially starts wrestling with her magic to try to drop the glamour but she realizes that she's actually afraid to drop it she believes that she's a coward and she starts she's wrestling so hard with her magic that her magic like pulses and breaks the glass in the room and Hale comes in and is like oh my god are you okay and she's in her feelings and he this is another really good example of where he's just you know there for her he says it's okay I'm here you're not a coward all of these things and I just love their emotional intimacy in this book yeah I do too and it's in this scene that it, it just felt so real because he comes in and is like are you okay and she does that like I've done it where she's like I'm fine no, I'm not fine. And I'm like, <laughs> right. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. That sounds very relatable. And at the end of this conversation, he says, you know, I really wish that I could show you what I see. Will you let me show you all the ways that I adore you, all the ways that I could worship you? <gasps> that line did it and for And then me. they consummate their relationship. And not only do they consummate it, but in their consummation... She drops her glamour. As a part of her orgasm, she drops her glamour. (laughs) Which I also loved. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to be honest. Like, the buildup in this book is really good. The sex scenes are fine. Yeah, there's no foreplay. There's no foreplay. And there's actually not a lot of, like... Sex. There's there's not a lot of sex. There's not a lot of, like, uh, I guess, experience. She makes them bust quick. Yeah, she makes a bus quick. But <laughs> same, vice versa. I mean, she finds her own pleasure as well. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's very, like, surface level sex scene. Like, it's but, not a door right. close, but it's... But the vanilla. tension build it's is very really vanilla. good. The, t- the tension build is And the really tension good. build, I think, oh, it, it makes up for the lacking yeah. of the yeah. actual coitus. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So she sees herself as a fae for the first time as an adult ever. And she's like immediately enamored of herself. And I'm just like, hey, girl, I see that. <laughs> I know. I love and that. She's like, I'm hot. <laughs> she doesn't it's say this that. Really, but <laughs> it's this really powerful moment. Um, and then subsequently, she ends up going out into the snow to do another ritual. And she's essentially out there in a nightgown. And... Hale is watching her from their bedroom window and he's like, hey, can you get back in here, please? You're kind of indecent. And she's like, what are you going to do if I don't? He's like, if you don't, I'm going to come out there and fuck you in the snow. 
And she's like, well, okay. <laughs> well, okay. And so she like catapults herself back into the room and they have sex again. And this is a much less frantic scene. It's much more about making love than fucking. And they both make a point to look into each other's eyes while they are they're having sex and say, I love you. Aww. It is really it's cute. It's just so good. It's so good. It's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> Such a sucker for that kind of shit. <laughs> for real. <sighs> yeah. And then they leave and they continue on to Yakshire and they have the one horse trope and he, this is where he's hard. Oh my God, it's they so hot. To- this is what I was thinking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so Liz, do you want to tell this story? Uh, I just, listen, I have never had like any sort of fantasy about horses. Like I'm not into like the cowboy <laughs> thing. Like I, nothing. Oh, I'm your resident horse girl. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Okay. Well, I don't want to have sex with horses. I want to be very clear. I don't want to have sex with horses. I just love horses and uh, cowboys are good. I like horses. I just don't like cowboys because I just get redneck vibes. Because oh, but you there's some there's some good ones out there. We're gonna read cowboy smut. It's a thing. Please and thank you. We will because there are a lot I want to read. Um, but so they have the one horse trope. I don't. I don't even know where the second horse is because they had one and like we just don't talk about it again. I don't know. That's fine. Um, but so he's behind her and they're both like hyper aware of where their bodies are like rubbing and touching. Um, and she can feel how aroused he is, and so she kind of like leans into that. Um, and he they have this scene where she I don't know if he instigates her or she does but basically he like puts his hand down her leathers and like fingers her while they're riding um and like uses the motion of the horse to like assist that mm-hmm. but then she is like okay cool I don't want this anymore I just want you right now and like flies off the horse and is like we're gonna do it in the forest <laughs> Against a tree. <laughs> Against a tree. Which, I mean, I was here for. I like the whole... This, okay, I don't... It's not said that this is because they're faded mates. Because I don't really like the whole, okay, we accepted our mate bonds, so now we have to fuck like rabbits. I don't like that. Um, but I do like that now that they have accepted that they want each other, that it's like they can't keep their hands off each other, because I'm a sucker for that. Yeah, yeah, that's so, actually an interesting point. I would love to see a book where like they start fucking and they don't realize that they're faded mates, or at least not fully, until like later, like way later. Well, that's Ice Planet. No, fuck off. I'm just saying that's what happens, and I hate no, it. They're not. No. <laughs> Done better, I think is the yeah. There we go. That's the, the words one. you're looking for. There, yes. Okay. Yes. And less rapey and less breathy. Yes. less babies way less babies um (laughs) but the like the motion of the horse and like the fingering i was just like okay yeah Mm -hmm. anyway (laughs) so they do that and then they continue on and they get it they get into yekshire to the palace ruins and they are kind of exploring she comes across um it's, it's it's basically overrun um and as she's turning to leave she sees what she assumes to be a red witch in the tower of the temple, kind of across the city, the ruined city. And she also finds the crushed spectacles of her younger brother Riv on the way out and kind of grieves for him. Hale meets her with a bouquet of white flowers to honor her dead family. And they say a ritual prayer so to sweet. do so, which I thought was so incredibly He's sweet. the sweetest. <laughs> I know. 
just adore him. The problem becomes that the Red Witch was a trap. Mm. Actually, Northern Guards followed them and ambushed them. Hale is captured, but Remy escapes, though she stays close trying to figure out a way to free him. Um, they find out that there's a blue witch with the Northern Guards, so th- the blue witch can essentially see what they're going to do. And so Remy kind of has to fight erratically, doesn't go with the first thing that her instincts tell her to do, that kind of thing. Eventually, she uses her magic to summon her bow and arrow and tries to f- free Hale, but they are both caught. She's bludgeoned over the head and she blacks out. When she wakes up, she's in a dungeon and she uses a bone to pick her way out because the... The gate is warded against her magic, and she finds Hale, who is beaten and terribly bloody, and he tells her to run, to get out of there, and she tells him that she's never going to leave him. I know. Shortly thereafter, some guards catch her, put her back in her cell, and Renwick comes to see her, so the Northern Prince visits her, and he reveals that they followed them after they encountered them on the road, and that they know who she is, because he calls her Her Highness. So mm. that means that they were all watching them fuck. Oh, yeah. I had that realization, too. And I was like, uh, OK, oh, well, okay. yeah, that kind of ruined bunch the whole tree scene for me. I know you a bunch right. of pervs. <laughs> but beyond the fact that she looks like a dead ringer for her parents, she has this very distinctive uh, birthmark on her wrist, which is a constellation that's special to the northern Fae. And that's one of the reasons why the king of the north was actively lobbying to get Remy engaged to Renwick, despite the fact that she was already fated to somebody else before the whole siege of Yekshire thing. There is, um, it's a, it was funny to me when they were looking for this birthmark and Remy's like, I have a lot of freckles on my body. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. I mean, you tried girl, <laughs> but then Renwick claps back. He's like, yeah, I used to say that when we were younger too. Yeah. And she's like, fuck yeah so the reason that they're keeping her is that they still think that she knows where Raphael is they starve her and when they return Renwick basically makes this show of forcibly searching the searching her for the ring it's kind of rapey will help it is kind of rapey because he like touches her and he like makes it really convincing but he doesn't he very clearly feels the ring in her totem bag doesn't take it and instead drops a dagger in her tunic I and leaves I read this scene four times because I was like what yeah what you the witch killer right yeah yeah I'm a little shocked by that too it was it was a good it was a good twist and I literally I went back and read it and I was like did the pronouns get messed up like is he taking a dagger I was I was very confused um in a good way so she so Remy says at some point in her banter with Renwick you would let your father destroy everything, leaving us with nothing just so he can rule over nothing. Like, burn it all to the ground just to prove that he's better than everybody else. But now you don't have anything to rule because everyone's dead. Something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And Renwick doesn't acknowledge that. He just kind of looks at her and it's just like, you know, eyebrow raise kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I think, and and we'll get to it at the end, but I think that, when we were talking earlier about the Eastern Kingdom using survival as a tactic, I think that might be a lot of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. 
So when Renwick and his lackeys leave, she takes the dagger out and she sees that there's a note attached from it from B. It's signed B, which could be a number of characters at this point. But it tells her to not use the dagger until she has eyes on them. She assumes this B to be Bree. Which I did too. Right. So shortly thereafter, she's brought into the throne but room. But is it and- Baba, Bab, Bab, Babama, okay, sorry. Baba Morgana. Margarina? Margarina? No, it's not Baba Morgana. Okay. So, so when she's brought to the throne room. I love this that you actually haven't finished. I think this is kind of nice. <laughs> I think this is kind of cool. I know. When she's brought into the throne room, not only is the king and Renwick there, but like there's a court of nobles. And it had never occurred to Remy that there were people who were actively like supporting the slaughter of her family. But these people seem fine with it. <laughs> And the king asks her again, where is Raphael? And she maintains that she does not know. The king reveals his blue witch. He physically takes her hood off. And we see this woman has been horribly disfigured, like burned, tortured. They have sewn her eyes shut. Jesus Christ. Right. This book gets dark. (laughs) Very dark. And nobody in the audience flinches except for Remy. And so it's she clocks it. She's like, oh, okay. You guys are monsters. I got it. Got it. Cool. But this blue witch claims that she sees both Remy and her brother Raphael standing in the throne room. And so the king brings in five remaining red witches that he did not slaughter when he found the red witches gathering in Yekshire so that he can kill them off one by one until Remy tells her, tells them where her brother is. He gets through two and Remy is terrified but honestly doesn't know what to say she doesn't know she she also has realized that her sister rua is the middle red witch she's disguised as a human and is also terrified baba morgana is also there she's one of the fourth or fifth witches but before the king can move on to more red witches she he brings in hale to use him as a pawn against remy as well when Remy sees Hale enter the room, she somehow rushes to him and, like, physically can hold him for, like, a brief second. And in that moment, he she slips the ring on his finger. So the ring that makes a person indestructible and you can't take it off. Otherwise, all of the deaths that it prevented will be visited upon you at once. That ring is now on Hale's finger. <laughs> Yay! It gave me so much so, anxiety. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I know. I'm <laughs> clinging to the edge of my seat here. I'm like, what the? I know. <laughs> okay. So the king orders them to be dragged apart. The soldier that takes Remy away, it's very quickly revealed that that is Burn. Mm. He says, you know, be still. And the soldier that grabs Hale and then moves to execute him pauses and reveals himself to be Raphael. Oh, fuck. And (laughs) all hell breaks loose. I didn't see that coming at all. I know, right? I was like, what the fuck is happening? It was great. It was such a good reveal. (laughs) Oh, man. So all hell breaks loose. The Eagle Twins are also there. I think Karis is there as well at this point. And everybody just starts fighting. Um, Oh, at some point, I forgot to mention, Hale's dad is there as well as one of Hale's brothers. Wait, so the king. He, like, walks in. The king and then, like. uh, One of those little douchebags. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's back up. Before before Hale was executed and all these people revealed themselves, Hale well, he orders executed. the Northern before he was King about to be executed. 
before he was about to be executed. Hale basically says, release me. My father will have a problem with this. And the Northern King is like, oh, will he? And then the Eastern King waltzes in with his new son. And he's like, you're not my son, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay. I know. He's actually like, actually, I don't have a problem with this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very James Bond villain. It's very James Bond villain. (laughs) So during this fight, it becomes clear that Renwick is on the side of not his father because he moves to protect Rua and the rest of the Red Witches that he's near. Yeah, he does. But in the fray, Raphael gets a dagger to the eye and dies. No, what? Yeah. So that was short. Wait, to the eye? Okay. Um, I feel like you could to the eye. To the eye. I mean, your brain's yeah. right behind it. Yeah. That's yeah. Fair. It like lodges in his eye and like his eye falls out, but the dagger's still stuck in his brain. It's so, like, really gross. It's really dark. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this book went from fun to dark really fast. <laughs> like for all the really adorable moments, there's a lot of like, what the fuck? <laughs> Which started yeah. happening in like when we got to the lake of corpses, I was yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, like, we're here now. <laughs> yeah. My question is that, like, I want to understand the physics behind lodged in the brain and the eye just, like, I don't... Well, your eye's just kind of, like, goo. Mm-hmm. So it's just, eye like... socket. It's open. And if you break yeah. the socket, like, your eye will fall out. You just have this bone holding it in there. It's not even bone. It's the tissues. Like, you can just squish it out. Yeah, you can. You can take, like, a spoon also. Mm-hmm. That's why you shouldn't, like, push on your eyes because it'll just, like... God, we have to move on. Oh I'm my so sorry. God. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jesus. Remy ends up fighting the Northern King while Hale ends up fighting his father. And in the scuffle, Rua ends up with the Immortal Blade and fucking annihilates the Northern King. Not even touching him. She uses the magic that the blade has to basically stab the king through the stomach without touching him. And then I think she beheads him with the knife or with the with the blade as well without touching him. So he's super dead. Super dead. Super dead. And I don't actually remember if the Eastern King dies, but I imagine he's dispatched somehow. I don't think he dies. I think he's still around. He is dispatched, though. Uh, Yeah. Does he die? Because I feel like. I feel like. I don't remember who's the who's the antagonist for books two and three. That's a great question. So anyway, Rua fucking annihilates the Northern King. Remy is just like, oh, thank God, Rua, (laughs) my guy. Thanks, sis. (laughs) And and thinks that it's all done, except there are other people still there loyal to the Northern King. And one of those people is a guard who basically runs Remy through with a sword in her back. And she dies. Again, again, in the arms of Hale, who's losing his fucking mind again. <laughs> but as she's dying, oh, Fenrin's here too, guys. Uh, Fenrin and Heather are here. They help. They just like appeared. Point. Like they, I didn't think they were there, and suddenly they like show up. And I'm like, oh, okay, hey guys. <laughs> yeah, Fenrin. Fenrin doesn't really pay play a big role. He causes a distraction at some point. He's dressed as a servant. Heather only shows up at the end when Remy is dying in Hale's arms and Remy is just like oh my gosh I got to see my second mother again that's so great and then Heather grabs a dagger and seppukus herself and does the trade my life for your life I just got goosebumps oh my god yeah don't you want to finish it now yeah oh I'm absolutely going to finish it yeah it's It's so good and as she does that Remy's like no please don't do that and it's too late and Heather dies and replaces her life for Remy's 
so Remy doesn't die. Remy blacks out, and when she wakes up, she's in a big plush bed. Everything's blue. She intuits that she's still in the Northern Kingdom, and Hale is with her. And they're kind of having this adorable pillow talk because she's still a little bit out of it. And he asks her to promise him never to make him watch her die again. Because he's had to watch it twice. (laughs) Yeah. In like a day. A week. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And they, she's like, I can't promise that, but I promise that I'll try my best or something like that. Okay. I really like their conversation because she's like, yeah, I'm probably going to die again, but I'll just keep coming back, I guess. I mean, she doesn't say any of that, but that's the vibe I get of her with the no promises. Right. They are interrupted by Burn. Oh my God. Can <laughs> you interrupting them? <laughs> I know. <laughs> They're interrupted by Bernie, who has impeccable timing. And we learn the aftermath the aftermath of the fight. Raphael did indeed die. No one exchanged their life for him, which... Oops. Choices. <laughs> Make better friends, I guess. Um, I don't know. I guess. The Eastern King did die, as did one of the heirs. Hale killed his own half-brother in the scuffle. And so there's really just one half-brother and a queen left over. And so Hale has to go to the Eastern Kingdom to stabilize it, even though he doesn't want to rule that. He just wants to make sure everybody's good. There's no infighting. His brother, his half-brother, or whoever stays on the throne, fine. Remy is now the crown princess, the queen of the High Mountain Court. And since Hale is her fated mate, he's essentially the king. And Renwick will remain and rule the North. He has been working with Raphael and Burn for a while, but just to make sure that he behaves, Rua will stay with him with her big immortal blade, my dick is bigger than yours stick. I do wonder if this will follow again, kind of like those later Akatar books of like, now we're going to follow them. Yeah, I had that thing. That I was literally, well. so I have Witch's Blade, which is the second one pulled up and it is about Rua. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yep. Yeah, I didn't look Um, that far into my thought, so thank you. Welcome, I got you. Remy will obviously go back to the High Mountain Court to start rebuilding there. And the last thing that we learn is that Burn was Raphael's fated mate. Oh, what the And I'm not crying, you're crying. I was so upset. I know. I missed that the first time around, and I almost threw the book across the room. What? I hated it. How was that Burn again, even I, standing? Oh, God. How did he I have the know. time and the wherewithal to interrupt? Oh. I don't know. Burn. Bernie boy. The burns are always the best. I know. Um. Oh, man. In yeah. happy news, uh, Hale and Remy get formally engaged, which is cute. Did you think that was cute? I thought it was a little no, bit gilding the lily. It was stupid. It was definitely gilding the lily. It was dumb. Um, I probably would have loved it. You would have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> he Okay. I think the problem with that I had with it was that he gets down on one knee and he like actually proposes. He says, will you marry me? And it's like, brother, what are we doing here? Right, like, <laughs> You're you are... mates. What are you not going to get married? Like, <gasps> yeah. He, but then the thing that he does is that he takes the, the red string that she tied around his wrist and cuts it in two and fashions two like makeshift rings for them before he can like go back and like get proper rings. And I feel like they could have done that without having to do the get down on one knee thing and like say, will you marry me? Yeah, I liked the string thing. part, but the like formal classic proposal, I was like, yeah, okay. Meh. Yeah. Hmm. And then they're like, we can waste no time. We must leave today. And so despite the fact that she just died. 
twice. <laughs> Literally. They are leaving, like, immediately. And so they have this whole big goodbye scene where, like, we have this goodbye montage with people. And Remy just turns into this blubbering, crying mess, which I thought was very out of character. Yeah, especially with Rua. Like, that was so awkward. <laughs> well, so, so first, she goes outside and they're about to get into carriages. And she sees Fenrin, who is, like, in the High Mountain Court, like, garb. And she, like, tears up and, like, hugs him, even though she's being watched by all these people and she like acknowledges that it probably looks weird she does it anyway and she offers him a position as her brown witch at her court he accepts then she turns around and she sees rua who is like this nesta robot kind of thing yes and she goes up and hugs her and starts crying and rua's just like i don't know you (laughs) essentially shows no emotion and is like i'm fine i don't know who you are don't touch me (laughs) And Remy's like, okay, good. So you'll talk soon. We'll 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 keep in touch through the Fae Fires. And Rue is like, I guess. I guess. And what's his face is just like hovering in the back. Yeah, Renwick. Renwick, thank you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then for some reason, Bree decides that she wants to stay with Rua. Which why? And I don't understand. And Rue is like, I don't need help. And Remy's like, yeah, you don't need help, but you could need a friendly face to help you sleep. And I'm like. I thought we were all friends here. Also, so, like, is Bree just going to, like, fuck around with Rua? Like, I don't understand. Right. I mean, I'd be here for that. I, I hope that's the second one, and it's about Rua, but not, um... It's probably I can't Renwick. remember his name. Renwick, Renwick. thank you. It's definitely Rua yeah. and Ren- I mean, I didn't confirm that, but I'm almost I want it to be Bree. Okay. Yeah. Don't anyway, confirm it for me. Don't look into it. I'm looking into it, but I won't confirm it with you. Okay. You will with your <laughs> face, though. I won't. <laughs> we, we also get this exchange between, like, Bree and Talon and... Karis and they're all kind of like see I told you I knew he was her fated maid and blah blah and like they all kind of knew what was happening before all of this happened and so (laughs) it's very much like the readers and like maybe Fenrin were the only ones that didn't understand what was happening this entire book (laughs) yeah poor Fenrin (laughs) left out of the loop totally in the last chapter we see a reunion between Hale and his mother Hale goes to the seaside cottage Remy is with him and he has a bouquet of flowers for his mother and when she answers the door they just embrace for a really long time and as Remy's watching this she makes a conscious effort to let go of her fear and her doubts and we started this book with a cat we end this book with a cat a cat comes up and brushes her brushes against her legs and she says oh do you think I'm a witch? All right, so let's get into our ratings. We were, oh my gosh, so spot on all down the... So Liz, how did we rate the spice level? So we all rated the spice at a three. Like we talked about, the actual sex scenes leave a little something to be desired, but the flirting and the tension and the buildup and all of that really made up for any lacking in the actual sex itself. So three is pretty solid. We all like the emotional aspect of it. And we got so much of that. (sighs) We're all suckers. So it was great. We are all suckers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving into the writing style. Des, how do we rate that? We gave it a four. Uh, The word choices are really great. It's not cumbersome to get around. Uh, The it's just it's good. Like it's not going to be a five because I think there are some parts that were a little confusing or maybe needed to be reread or there were some parts that were just a little funky um and also like the 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 words that were created for the story 
were cumbersome also like the name mm-hmm. of the land that we're in Ah-crith. that i'm not gonna repeat because it hurts me Ah-crith. Ah-crith. <laughs> sure. uh, so four for that reason but still very very good excellent and then so quality of storytelling, similarly, we all rated it a four. And I think it's easy to see why, right? It wasn't a very complex story, but it was easy to follow. It started out with a big information dump, but I don't really mind that because all of the information was relevant. And I would prefer to have an information dump in the first part of the book rather than in the last 30 pages, looking at you, Lightlark. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> I think it, it all came together to make a really believable world, a really interesting dynamic between the characters and the powers at at play here and so it was just very enjoyable to read and so as you might have guessed we do recommend this which means we will be reading the second book it's already added to our backlog (laughs) so stay tuned (laughs) so stay tuned and and that's it those are our thoughts on the high mountain court by ak mulford thank you as always for joining us on this journey let us know what you thought of this book and of this review on the socials, you can find us at Spice Pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon. And Goodreads. Oh, and Goodreads. We're now on Goodreads. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.